All right, close all the bullshit. I'll keep that open. That's that's all. It doesn't really matter too much. All right, cool. Let's do it, boys. Let's go. So, um, what are your favorite moped sounds? Yo! What the fuck is up, guys? How's it going? Moped Money Podcast, welcome back. We're doing the thing live in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, if you never heard of us, this is a podcast where we kind of talk about mopeds and two wheel vehicles and building them and wrecking them and fucking all sorts of stupid stuff. You didn't collecting. say riding. Yeah, not riding. That's like <laughs> that's last on the list, bro. Like, yeah, we're none of us are good enough for that. But dude, welcome back, man. Episode two hundred and twenty. It's getting up there. We're we're doing it. I didn't think I would ever have this much stuff to talk about mopeds. Like, for real. I who who knew? <laughs> you opened a small fissure and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And maybe you contributed to it. Maybe. Maybe the listeners started uh, yeah. to get interested in mopeds. Maybe they searched for one little keyword. Was, Down and, this and path it, they and, went, and I'm so sorry. At least it wasn't nugget porn. God damn it. We came back. We really circled back after a we were a hundred episodes, maybe a hundred and fifty episodes clean. <laughs> Thomas, I'm not even going to ask, man. I'm not familiar. It's been a long I'm time. I'm trying to keep it that way. If you've listened listen that long, I'm sorry you're still here, but I'm happy you're listening. Oh, man. Oh, dude. Fuck. Yeah, there was at least a couple of weeks where that just kept coming up over and over and over again. Nugget? Like chicken nuggets? Yes. Dude, yeah, just take it as that. Just help. Do yourself a favor. Just trust me on this one. Dude, so Thomas. Buddy, I'm driving to Lynchburg and hearing the first evolutions of these jokes. I'm, I got like a four hour freaking drive and I'm and I hear it and I go but what's that and of course ADHD I'm gonna google it right I, the road is three miles of straight away I'm driving and I just <laughs> no no I wish that was never in my search history now and now it's stuck in my head and it has to live rent free because of these motherfuckers man imagine someone checking your google after you're dead <laughs> <laughs> I swear it was Mo like Money podcast oh. you're a ghost we can't hear you <laughs> The funny thing is, the reason I bring it up uh, is because Thomas was over here the other night. Um, Thomas had a little one, by the way, if you guys didn't know. Buddy Thomas used to be on the podcast all the time. Has a little, him and Ashley, because they're a couple. But yeah, they got a young team. one. Little, little, little baby boy, Maxwell. So, you know, congrats to them. But they brought the baby over recently. And I'm sitting on the couch. Everything's going good. We're chilling. And I'm just like scrolling Instagram. No big deal. Everything's chill. In my feed, out of nowhere, the fucking internet guys knew Thomas was sitting right next to me. Nugget girl in a bikini. Like, and I'm just like, uh, I turn it to Thomas. <laughs> and he's like, you want it? <laughs> <laughs> And her to Ashley, she's like, oh my god, you know, and her funny voice. This one, Thomas, Matthew. Imitation yeah. may be a compliment, but I wasn't gonna try. <laughs> 
But yeah, dude, it was. It came out of nowhere. I was very surprised, but it was like they just knew he was there. You know, like, I'm glad that dead horse is back. We can beat it some more. All right, let's play. <laughs> also, dude, like we keep doing this thing where we start the podcast and we crack beverages, and I don't drink alcohol. I'm outnumbered. But I'm always drinking like something caffeinated. And it's so hard to like start a podcast and like crack this drink. And you're like, well, you just cracked this. You got to take a sip. So I take (laughs) a sip and then I'm just like dying inside. Indigestion. Yes. I'm trying to not fucking start every episode with just like a belch right in your face out of nowhere. (laughs) It's authentic. It's hard. I need to to just crack it and not drink it. Like, because it's like the song. Put it on the sound button bar. Yeah, yeah, we'll record song, some cracks. Song is just <laughs> the wrong time, you know what I'm saying? <sighs> but dude, so here we are. We're live. We're doing the thing. We're in the podcast. It's going big um, and normal, like always. But I already, already, already have people here. We're doing the thing again. No, no call in. No guests on the phone. We're going live. And I got Maddie. Y'all, you guys all know who he is by now. Greg Shifters. Yeah, you know. I don't. I need a proper so Maddie my buddy, introduction. This is my buddy Maddie. We're, we're gonna do a proper thing. That's the whole point of this podcast. Okay, okay. <laughs> he, he used to live in Baltimore and area north. Don't yeah. even. Yeah, we, don't we always called him Baltimore, but like really, they didn't live in. It's the just city. the biggest city nearby. We were yeah, they were, fifteen minutes from the PA state line. <laughs> where you want to take lunch? We, we, it was hard enough to be like, oh yeah, he's in a moped club from Maryland. <laughs> like that sounds lame. We're like, uh, he's from a moped club from Baltimore. That sounds hard as fuck. <laughs> like, it's definitely got more edge to it. Yeah, with we that gave you guys sure. way more street cred to say it's you guys different were from <laughs> Some of us were, and that was half the fucking problem. Like, hey, Roger Moped, an hour and 15 minutes to my house. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Yeah, But Matty uh, found himself down here in Richmond, and now he's uh, in what's commonly known as the black hole dude he's never leaving he's, he's, he's here that's it that's i barely it. want to exist are you kidding me <laughs> yeah. and then the main attraction for today's episode is my buddy zach zach why don't you tell everyone who you are where you're from and then we'll dive more into it sure so my name is zach DePaulo. I grew up in Stafford, Virginia, so like Northern Virginia, you know, whatever, 45 minutes south of D.C. and just north of Fredericksburg, um, for, my, for the listeners that know that city. Um, so growing up, you know, I was obviously super into music, really passionate about that, and I always really loved riding my dirt bike, um, among other sports, whatever, boxing, football, hockey, I kind of played it all, um, tried it out. Dirt bikes kind of stuck with me. Like I really enjoyed the freedom of two wheels and like the different creative elements with riding. And I mean, everything, the, you know, feeling of, of pushing yourself, whatever, through something you're afraid of. And so I just kind of chipped away at like, I wanted to make money riding dirt bikes. Like that was what was on my mind. That's what I was like praying into the universe before I went to sleep. Like, just help me become a (laughs) professional dirt bike rider. That's all I wanted. And at the time, there was like, you know, freestyle motocross, which was this huge, crazy thing that there was just a handful of guys doing back then. And then there was racing. So like, I really wanted to be a pro racer. You know what I mean? Um, and when I would go to races, I would do well, but we'd do two or three a year and you had to, you know, have overall points for whatever, 16 rounds to kind of advance and then kind of get up to the A in the pro class and everything. So that dream kind of fizzled out and, um, I don't know. I, I got a sales job for a little bit 
Oh, normed it out. Yeah, like crushed it. You know what I mean? Got was an internet marketing manager the second month, and uh, they made like some corporate changes. You know what I mean? That essentially put me to hourly from commission. And they were kind of just like, keep working, kid. You're going to own this place someday. And I'm like, yeah, but I just increased our internet leads by 240% and you're giving me a pay cut. So I went home that night. That was like the worst thing that had ever happened to me at that point in my life. I was 19, you know what I mean? And that was like the catalyst that made me say, screw it. And I called someone off of Google. I typed into Google East Coast Freestyle Motocross. And this guy's behind bars FMX popped up out of Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. This guy, Casey Higgins, you know, and he's an OG. He's retired now for a while, but, um, and I was like, Hey man, uh, answered first time I called. He's like, Hey man. Uh, I was like, I found your website. I really want to ride freestyle motocross. I'm from Virginia. Like I can hit 90 and hundred foot jumps and do no handers and heel clickers. Like, could I come up and learn how to ride ramps? And so, um, he let me and, my first day, I rode like full gap to dirt and started to learn tricks. Second day, broke my collarbone. <laughs> and everybody told me it wasn't a good idea and <laughs> go get another job. And uh, I never listened. So yeah. I've been a professional freestyle motocross rider for 10 years now. That's wild. 10 years, dude. That's so crazy to think I, about. Doesn't let's, feel real to say. <laughs> let's go back. So before we dive too deep, man, like I knew you when you were like super young little boy. And you had your band, you're doing your music thing, we're booking shows, you're yeah. like always our you are our go-to, man. You're the homie, we're like, damn, yo, give it to Zach. Like, Zach's gonna be there, his band's gonna kill it, they're gonna do the thing, he's gonna be stoked about it. You know, you always wear that little hat too. <laughs> Dude, you know what's weird is like that still feels so good to hear. Isn't that bizarre? Like my band has not been a thing for yeah. since 2011 was our last show and like just to hear you say that like i know that means you and malhoit were like having some powwows i wasn't part of and you guys uh, were like yeah zach's he, zach's a real one he's here like he's well, he's doing down, it dude like you Thanks, well man. there's always like so i feel like it's like for anything for like whether you're in the fucking your moped club or your fucking motorcycle club or your fucking sport team or your whatever the fuck you're at work there's always someone who's driving the fucking bus you know, there's yeah. someone in every group who's like the driving force, who's like lighting the fire underneath everyone else's ass, who's like about it because they're passionate about the thing they're doing. And everyone else is kind of like they enjoy it. They like it, but they don't they could care less either huh. way, you know, and like for you, you were that dude in that in that band. So wow. that's what it's like. Anytime you meet someone like that, you always it always stands out. You always know that person like at a first glance, you're like. Yeah, that's the one who cares. That's the high man. Yeah. Dude, yeah. that's and that's crazy because like my role in my industry hasn't changed from that. Like guys can say whatever they want about my riding or whatever, but unanimous, like who's passionate about riding in the yeah. shows, there's no question. Yeah. But that's not always intaked and took intaked, whichever's correct. <laughs> that's not always intaked by the other party the way you are summarizing it. You're seeing the positive side of that. But yeah. some people see it as like Someone has a negative to, or a threat or something. To do it. Yeah. You know, some people are intimidated by it because they, because they feel like they're trying to run, run them. Like they don't want, they want to, they don't want to take second fiddle, you know? Yeah. And sometimes there needs to be someone who's like, it's not a bad thing. We're not like trying to like downgrade the next person. Like, right. Oh, like that guy doesn't care. Like, you know, who cares? But like, there needs to be someone who's like dedicated to the cause. And then there needs to be someone who's like, down to like do whatever needs getting done. Right. And like, like, that's like, to me, that's kind of irreplaceable. Like people can know details in something 
But if at your core, you genuinely like are passionate about what you're doing, like that always like pushes through and conveys like you can't really add that to someone yeah. like they either genuinely feel that way or they don't. I don't know. Maybe and it, makes not. You, Maybe and it helps change. you like overcome like adversity. Yeah. Like if you like, or you're the dedicated and you're like, you're dead set on something. It's like, you'll push through a little further than the next guy. Dude, I, because you never know. Like, I have so much I could say about that. Like You're spot the, on. Maybe the next, maybe the next one, maybe the next one, maybe the yeah, next one. Yeah. And then like you give up, and like there was the next one. Yeah. That where it would have popped or whatever. Oh, dude. Which is like going back to the music thing. That's why it's like, yeah, it's good to hear. And it's good to feel when like when someone like mentions like oh some old band that who cares like I got a bunch of old bands that like you know <laughs> no one knows like no one knows no one cares but. Same thing. If I heard someone like, "Oh, dude, I remember your old band. That was sick." It's like, "Oh, that felt good." Because yeah. like, because you were dedicating, you were like putting your all into something, and you could say that with whatever else you're doing. Like, if you if you're really putting yourself into something, like, you know, you want recognition for it. Yeah. Like, who doesn't? Well, and that's like the difference between like people who live life and focus on the things that they really care about and want to be part of and someone who's more like going through the motions to make money to pay for the bills to do the things that they think they're supposed to do like i feel like i can connect with either type of person but like the eye to eye like we're the same type of human thing is never quite there like you know what i mean yeah like there's definitely people that are like passion driven in whatever they're doing even if they change what they're doing you know what i mean yeah but like, listen, when you were a younger dude, like I knew you were in the band thing and I knew you from music and stuff, but I had no clue you rode dirt bikes. Yeah. It was like, it literally went from Nobody like, did. Yeah, it literally went from like, you were just some kid in a band to like years later, like, oh dude, Zach grew up and like, look at him. He's fucking flying around on dirt bikes. <laughs> so what, what, what got you into riding when you were younger? Like when you first started riding, what was like your first kind of bike? So like a lot of, a lot of the guys that I'm riding with, like, dude, they started when they were like two, three, four years oh, yeah, old. It's kids, hard, dude. Like not even PWs, It's so built like. into their like, uh, you know, genetics essentially. It's like their body knows like from like deep muscle memory, how to react to things. And I have that a little bit, but I didn't start till I was like nine. So like my family did get me my first dirt bike. I think I paid for every bike after that because I had a job once I was like 14. But mm -hmm. my first dirt bike, they got it for me. And, you know, we didn't, again, we didn't have the money to like race every weekend or anything. Well, at first it was just like a dirt bike. So yeah. I'd go ride trails, the power lines. And I was in like a quiet harbor there getting chased out of the power lines by the <laughs> cops all the time. They'd pull up like two hills away and be like, stay there. And they'd start walking on the hill. Like, yeah, let's hang out for 20 minutes while they walk over. We'd let them get to the bottom and then ride away. <laughs> so that was like the start is like, I was just a hoodlum dude, yeah. riding on the power lines, like no real, like gear or anything just a helmet and vans you know and that's a pro to like where you grew up too it's like yeah like richmond's cool but like growing up somewhere where it's like stadford fredericksburg like where there's like open land and yeah like there's not you're not in a city right there's plenty of like i feel like there's plenty of space for you guys definitely not like maybe not dedicated space but like DIY kind of open. Sure. That like that Buford T justice kind of cop, like <laughs> a cab, but at the same time, like, <laughs> yeah, you got guys that are like, Oh, I, you know, I like cops. Well, you know what they do. Right. Well, this one time they pulled me over and I was, you know, hammer drunk on a mini bike out in Stafford, Virginia. And he, and he just followed me home. It was like, all right, so did that make a good cop? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, having that Buford T. Justice guy, yeah, that, that yeah. makes a big difference in that growing up area. You got the eight-year-old running, the cop just goes, I'm not even going to chase this dumbass. He's only 50. What the fuck is this dude? Dickhead? Yeah. 
that's literally like, that's what was going on too. But so yeah, rode the power lines and then there was like a Stafford airport track that we heard of. So we went over to the airport and it was, you know, just a public track, whatever, but not fit. We weren't allowed to ride there. But yeah. so then like a few actual motocross racer kids built like real jumps out there okay. and like turned it into like a little practice spot. And their dad was like loaded. They had like an RV paintball guns, two dirt bikes, like front they loader. were, I didn't even know that <laughs> was a just whole any world. Gun. They had that angel boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. I remember being scared to hit these jumps and these guys were jumping it, shooting each other with paintball guns while they were jumping and stuff. And I was like, dude, these guys are gnarly. And so I started riding on my little trail bike with those kids mm-hmm. And, um, Kirby Kinslow was his name. He raced for a long time. He got out of it. But like by my second or third day, I'm like, keep, I'm jumping all the jumps and I'm keeping up with these guys on this trail bike, which is like not meant to be jumped. So like the dad and some of the locals were like, dude, you should race. Like you're like kicking ass for your little 70 or nine years old. Mm -hmm. And so, so they got me, uh, like the next bike and I had to like spend my allowance on it or whatever. What's the um, next step? Cause I always, cause when I, when I think of like dirt bike, cause like dirt bike racing and that whole scene is so cool. Like every kid thinks about that when they're young, you know, like you see little kids like fucking doing their thing. Even now you watch Instagram videos and you get your algorithm has any dirt bike related shit. You're going to get the fucking line up a little fucking five year old like giving each other the fucking fist bump. It's a whole like, world. Revving their yeah. motors like super stoked. Like that doesn't get you hype like what will, but like Yeah. I don't know. Dude. It's like what had I feel like everyone's got that same default. It's like they get like that PW fifty mm-hmm. and then like maybe they step up to like a little cobra thing or something. Right. Those cobras, right. What was like what's what do you think's the normal progression? So, I mean, normal would be like, yeah, PW50, then maybe like an XR70, which is what I started on. I think it was a 2001 XR70. Then you'd maybe go to 100 or whatever. But then like, okay, if you want to ride trails or like, you know, you want to be a GNCC rider or whatever, then you'll go trail bike. But like I wanted, I was like in love with jumps then. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a motocross bike. So we got a KX65, like a 2003. I don't know if you ever rode a KX65. They're scary to ride now. Yeah, They're so stroke. powerful. You could, if you just pinned it in any gear on the ground, you'll do half a flip to your back. They're so <laughs> torquey. So you have to develop throttle control. So I came from this four stroke. It was thir- yeah, three speed just could hold it to the fucking you know what i mean throttle tube cap and just just give her the beans and like you know it's predictable where this two strokes like whoa i was like looping out and crashing i was scared to hit jumps i was hitting all the jumps that i should hit in second and like fourth gear like whoa because i was scared of the power band and it's funny um yeah like you know it was it was uh, drill sergeant style then. Like when I wasn't jumping the KX65, it was like, okay, we're gonna take your bike back and get you another trail bike. And I was like, no, it was brutal, dude. Like really? it was, I had to jump to keep that bike, which like it pushed me. And then I started riding with other guys that were like a little older than me, but on 85s and 125s, and I was always the youngest on the little bike. And they were just constantly like the guys I grew up riding with were the old school like 2000s like. You know, I mean, I know this isn't in right now, but this is what it was. It was like, oh, pussy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was all, no that, fear, that was the only word biscuit. ever. Yeah, yeah. No, it was like, it was, soft, you were either like, you either rode okay or you were a pussy. Like, there was no like Ben A or Ben B. It was all it was. So, like, all I wanted to do was impress the guys I rode with. So, I would just wad myself hitting jumps that were way too big for me to be jumping on a 65. But as I I'm feel 12. like that's what it takes to build, like, yeah. some, to build someone who's that, like, good at that kind of sport. Like you need someone who's like, there's not like a coach that's standing, 
Well, actually, let me let me let me stop for a second because I don't fucking know. I mean, there, I'm sure there are some coaches, not in my world, but like, yeah, for the most part, I feel like it's it's all like the riders. Trial by fire. Well, yeah, and it's like there's so. I mean, dude, most of the guys you see racing on the top level pro circuit on TV and stuff, like, dude, they come from wealthy families mm-hmm. that were already they in the motocross. They have land, they have bikes, they have RVs. Whole tracks. They're self-employed, so they can go the whole weekend with RVs and so, and, they, and they have trainers. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And even some of those kids don't end up, you know, making it. And there is, of course, stories of guys who didn't have money or everything in between. But I'm mm-hmm. saying, generally speaking, it's not a cheap <laughs> sport to get into. So I did, like My I said, a few races a year. Lift weights, and then and then I had to go on the road bike and do a hundred miles to get my endurance up. And then I came home and I had five hour session on the, on our track after my dad just freshly watered it. They really like, have <laughs> stuff like that, and that was like the dream. But do you know what's funny is like so once I've grown up a little bit. Once I was like fifteen, I got on a two fifty F. There was an eighty five in between. Did you progress through through more two strokes. I never loved the two strokes. I was always like, I think I could go now and like shred a two fifty two stroke and like it would take some time to get used to it. But at that age, I really never got comfortable jumping those like in the power. As soon as I got the KX two fifty F it was like a 2005, like that last steel model four stroke. That thing was like where I became a good rider. And I was 15 though. I was still young, you know? And so then I'd go to these tracks like MX Landing in Easton, Maryland, and it was like all these fast kids would be running all day, and I would just try to keep up with them all day. Then like everybody would leave. It'd be like three o'clock, but like you, the open practice was open till five. I was always the last kid at the track. Mm-hmm. And what would I do once people cleared out? I'd go to the expert track and just go hit the three biggest jumps in a row that were all doubles and just loop that is long until they kick me out. And by the end, the way the parking lot was, it was like kind of eye level with where you'd be on the jump. So mm-hmm. I started doing heel clickers and no handers and mm-hmm. people were watching and like, were stoked. That was way back in 2000, whatever, five, six, seven. Yeah. So that's when like doing a heel clicker over a hundred foot dirt double, which is still badass, but it was even more badass than like, it was, they were like, wow, this kid's doing freestyle jumps out here. He's 15. So I didn't even really think of it until maybe only a couple of years ago, but like that was the start of me. Like, Oh, I like hitting big jumps in front of yeah. people and doing tricks. Like, you know? <laughs> and I just gravitated towards it. I never made a conscious decision to like do that. I just wasn't super like I can be fast when I'm really feeling it, but like I just liked hitting big jumps, man. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> the whole like aspect of like jumping a dirt bike, like watching people like when you watch the races and stuff and you watch them jump, you're just like they're literally fucking flying right now. Falling like, with style. Dude, hang, Falling with style. Hang time. And like you look at the distance and the jump and you're like, how? And then like you talk to like even when you're talking to you, you're just like, yeah, that jump I should have been hitting in second. And you're like, second? <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's it? Dude. How so typically how fast do you what's the speed to gap ratio? Dude, like And these- how do you and how do you Well, I know how you know because you've done it so many times, it's built in and you have the feel for it, but like there are definitely times when people will fucking come up short. There's definitely oh, times yeah. where poking, people have sent it and gone way far. Yeah. So how do you know how much you should put into it? Straight the hell up, dude. It is an educated guess every single time. And and it's lizard brain stuff. I don't know, dude. I really don't. And it's yeah. like one of those things where if I think about it a lot, 
I will mess up. If I turn the corner and just trust that I'm going to analyze at the last second and figure it out, it's perfect. But yeah. that's hard to tap into sometimes yeah. when you're nervous and like it's first hit at a show, new setup, you know, maybe you, the wind screwed you up so you didn't get to practice or whatever. And it's like time to go do your first jump and you're going from like sitting down, just chilling. And now you got to go do this first really dangerous thing. Dude, I wish I had a perfect science for it. I don't know. But what I've learned now that I'm old, so I used to let it mess with me. And then I like made this deal with myself a couple years ago. I would say like early 2021, it was like 2020, I worked other jobs. I lost all my shows. So I had a good marketing consultant position that I could have continued then. And I was like, all right, if I'm going to get back into FMX and start touring, I either believe I can do it or it's too dangerous and I don't want to do it and I don't think it's a good choice. If I pick do it, if I'm going to bet on myself, why the fuck am I going to show up to the ramp then when it's time to execute and allow worry and doubt to invade my thought process at that time? You know what I mean? So it's like I realized I had this epiphany where I was like the worry aspect of it is only colluding my judgment. So I made this deal where it's like, if I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to believe in myself, don't fucking forget that when it's time to physically do it. You already made the choice. And I didn't have that before. Years ago, I'd get to shows, dude, and it was a fucking roll of the dice. Sometimes I'd be cool as a cucumber. Now, let me tell you, it's funny. I'm in Poland. I can be hungover, like no sleep for days. See a couple cute chicks in the crowd. I don't even think about it. (laughs) Huge trick. Got our show out. Done, bro. Got our show out. (laughs) I'm saying, dude, like, that's all it took. I love that. (laughs) But it's like, but then it's like when I'm genuinely scared because of something like a setup issue or the wind or like whatever, maybe that wouldn't power through as much. But yeah, man, like I used to show up and I would let my head do whatever and I'd still get it 99% of the time. But that also got me hurt really bad a few times. So now I I just eliminated it and I don't really know how. I think it's just because my best chance of getting through it safely is without worry. And I finally clicked that in. It took years. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like being young and starting your racing and all that stuff, like I know we talk about this, like in mopeds and stuff, like there's a couple of people in, the, in our scene that like have, as you see our buddy right here, Matt, he's got a broken shoulder. Have, 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 have ate it a couple of times on mopeds. Yeah. And like, it's not if it's when, yeah, yeah we've, we've had this conversation so many times on the podcast about just like, Yo, like, why'd you go back to riding again? Like, what got you back into it? Like, even after, like, suffering an injury. Sure. Or falling or wrecking or getting hurt, really fucked up. Like, people have been in the hospital and you're like, dude, like, what makes you want to keep riding? I got one part that I want to put into that. And I've noticed that with a lot of people, you know, a stranger you met at a bar, random person with a Harley, whatever. All them guys that stop riding and want to tell you a story about it. Mm-hmm. They didn't have no helmet on. They didn't have no fucking gloves on. They didn't have shit on. And especially these little toys we're riding, as much as we want to think about them as toys, they still fuck us up. I don't give a fuck what you guys are saying. (laughs) I don't care if you got a Yamaha QT50. You still break your fucking collarbone on that shit. Oh, yeah. Wear your gear. Wear your fucking gloves. Wear a full face helmet. Don't sand your chin down on the fucking concrete. Like, flat out. If you're wearing your shit and you're actually protected, you're going to be less hesitant to come back to it because you were smart. And it's the dumb dudes that are telling you, 
Oh man, I'd never get back on two wheels again. I, oh, yeah. I spilt the I spilt the wife's <laughs> hog on the tail of the dragon. I had no I used to ride. Yeah. I, I, used to I love the stories. They try and tell you they got a flex on you because you yeah. got a little moped with pedals. Oh, I used to do that. Oh, like yeah, the I, had, 90s. I had a big bike and then I and then I wrecked and now I'm a eunuch. Sorry, Dude, Barb. The, I had to layer the down. amount lost of guys. Lost my peck going sixty six. All I got was his t shirt. Oh shit! The amount of guys. Next rally. Next moped. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my pecker in Nashville, and all I got was this fucking T-shirt. <laughs> I love Nashville. Um, the amount of guys after shows that say stuff like that or try to tell me that they whatever did a Superman seat grab in 1985 or something. I'm like, I'm like, right. You did it before any of the inventors. I of the was sport. on a Honda trail but 70. I've just learned to just dude. They just want to connect and they don't know what yeah. else to say. And, but so the riding thing, I've thought about this a lot too. And it's like, um, I don't really know what else gives you that sense of like elevated, like, oneness i don't know how to explain it when i'm driving a car i'm very aware that i'm in a box with a steering wheel and a set of axles and like it's fun but like dude if i whip it to one side i move the other way and you can't like put it you don't know exactly where your tires are i mean sure a really good drift guy does but i'm saying when you're on a motorcycle dude it's like an extension of your body if you were on two wheels you are now a two-wheel thing with that that can do shit man yeah you can go do stuff that you can't do with your normal body. And I think that's what's so addicting to it about me is it's like, especially with the motocross bike, you go look at these dirt mounds and like you could never jump from that one to that one. And I can just go and go sail all over the place. And like when I'm really vibing, it's like, it's like a flow state, like a painter really enjoying it. And that's when I have the most fun, but like road riding on my Jixer or when I went out on, on mopeds with you and stuff like that, it's the same thing, dude. Like you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to become one with this thing that like elevates your ability to like, move and like movement is fucking cool like right like that's life so like toss it around i've thought about it a lot like you're you're fucking and if it wasn't dangerous like would we all like if we didn't have the thrill of almost eating shit sometimes and saving it and like all like would would it be fun if it was just totally safe (laughs) everything in life that requires fun also requires illegality of some sort. I love whether, that. Whether it's to your wife's rules and what you're capable of doing, or whether it's to the rules of gravity and you eating shit, it is literally that that makes it exciting. Right? All right, he, we're going to stroke up tonight. Fuck your rules. <laughs> if you were broken oh up with Saturday night, where would you be Sunday morning? Riding a Honda Helix through the fucking mountain bike trails on a Honda Helix with Jason because he's a fucking asshole. That was fun. That was a good day. That was a great day. day. That was a comedy bit. I apologize, people. It was a great day. I need more groups like that. I've always, with with street riding, 100% lone wolf. 100%. I used to try to ride with like my uncle or something, but he's so slow. He just, he's so slow. It's not fun. It's dangerous. There's cars flying past us. I'm like, later, bro. Like, I'm not doing this shit. (laughs) Hell no. But um, yeah, man, bikes... I don't know. I've done a lot of like really fun stuff. And I would say like motorcycles, <laughs> sex and like skydiving are like the only three things that are like waking me up every day to keep, <laughs> keep living and find and shit. Maybe food, food and music. I mean, well, I'm saying like things that genuinely take me away from any like colluded thought. Like I am 100% present just riding this yeah. activity. Like, fuck yeah, this is the shit. That's what I would list on that. Yeah. Anything sense. with two wheels. I mean, if you're jumping out of an airplane, I don't know. I'm just I'm saying. Like, yeah, I got to pull this rope sometime yeah. soon. I better not fuck up. Remember, is it time yet? Where's the clock? Where's the watch? 
So the red one, not the yellow one. (laughs) Pull the right shoe. I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm trying to, that's really honestly how I feel. And like, no, like my original passion is definitely music. And I've had like a lot of like, I don't know, time to think about how long I've been away from like my creative music side. And what do they say? Like pain and like life experience creates great music and stuff. So Dude, I've been through a hundred men's worth of pain in the last 10 years. I'm going to know, I'm going to know when the right time is, but I'm really excited to like get back into making music. And I've had a lot of visions about it, but I'm not even close to being done with FMX. That's what's so bizarre. But I think that's just how my brain works. I mean, I thought about riding dirt bikes my entire life as a childhood and like it, it wasn't automatic. I had to be very patient. Oh my yeah. God, so patient. I mean, I, I, would, I still don't feel like I've like set out to do what I wanted to do, but like when I take myself out of it and like tell people stories about like, they'll t- tell me something that happened in 2017 and I was like, oh, I was riding a show and you know, <laughs> Krakow and we went to Amsterdam that weekend or something. I'm like, man, so how'd it go from dirt like, bikes have been okay. <laughs> so how'd it go from like 15, you're racing, everyone's like, oh dude, this kid's got it. Like, you know. And you yeah. make the call and you meet that guy and you go out there and they're like, Ooh, you broke your collarbone second day. What yeah. kind of happened from there? So that was like coming home with a broken collarbone. Um, nobody really supported it. Then my family definitely did not, but even my, racing, like they're, you're, you're subject to get hurt. Sure. Like yeah, I know. Right. Like dirt bike racing, like kids are breaking their collarbone. All the I time. mean, I guess, I guess like the thing with FMX is that it's only 75 foot gaps. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you screw up on any given jump and go long or short or miss your bike or something like you're going to have a bad time. Like yeah. It's, it's pretty rare that you don't get hurt on a full gap crash. Superman but, seat grab. I forgot to grab the seat. That, dude, not a good time. It's 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 a rush. <laughs> I've I've done it. It's, 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 I wouldn't recommend it. But um, so I came home. I would say I never once considered not doing it. And and you know the guy that had taught me Casey Higgins that weekend had had verbalized like, hey, you did really well your first day. You got to full gap and started learning tricks. Like, don't let this collarbone thing screw you up. And uh, he was saying like, dude, you get ten tricks down. I got fairs and monster truck shows that need another rider. I can, you can start making money riding. So once he said that to me, once I knew that I knew someone personally went off that could pay me to ride my dirt bike. That was, I was, that was it. Yeah, that was it. So I went home, I healed up. Um, I went back up there. I kept riding, learned some more tricks. And then, yeah, like that first show I rode for him, it was like, you know, for like whatever cheap and like some food and whatever, like, you know, it was just I hanging out some pizza. Yeah, full gap to metal <laughs> landing. Like it was probably windy that day. It was first time jumping to a metal landing. And I was just like terrified. I knew that how bad dirt landings hurt. And I'm like, yeah. this steel thing is not going to give. <laughs> and it was me and like five other riders, dude, a bunch of which who are dead or retired or whatever. But, um, it went really good. And then, yeah, I got handed money at the end and I was like, it was an elevated level of happiness. Like I was on the road somewhere new with a bunch of cool dirt bike guys. I just rode in front of a crowd. So I have all the feelings and energized like emotions from that. And then I get paid at the end. I was like, dude, this is, this is what I want to do. And also feel like you can tell me if I'm wrong or whatever, but like, I feel like this also like feel filled the that void that you kind of had from from music because that's like the same kind of feeling you would get from the end goal of being a touring musician like yeah you're on the road you're with your homies you're played some show you have people that are stoked that are into it and then someone handed you money at the end and you're like that's it yeah like i was hanging out having a good time and i'm getting paid for it right like what it's amazing and do you know do you remember dami at all 
I don't know. Dommy, he was like one of my best friends back in the Hack and Jesse days. Black dude, a little taller than me. I met him at the Stick to Your Gun show oh, at Casey's. Anyways, I thought you and him were buddies, but he, um, you've definitely met him. Me, you, and Jason. I'm just so bad with remembering names. No, I know. Faces, you know. So he he actually brought this epiphany to my own mind because him and I caught up like six months ago and he was telling me just really nice things, just being proud of me for the riding stuff. And that, that means a lot coming from friends. Um, I'm an emotional guy. What can I say? Mm-hmm. I care about what my friends have to say. So he said something about Hack and Jesse and we started talking about that. And he was like, yeah, dude, like, you've been the ringleader of chaos since day one. Like, that's your thing. <laughs> I was like, damn. And that's what kind of made me realize it wasn't that different. It's like Hack and Jesse shows. I was the vocalist for a slam band that <laughs> was based around moshing and two-stepping. And I was like, my objective and my job was to get people amped yeah. and, and produce energy. And that starts with me and how I feel inside. And now like at the FMX shows, even if I'm not the highest paid rider, which I'm like almost never, sometimes I am, but sometimes they'll bring in a guy with like gnarly flip tricks, you know what I mean? And like he does his gnarly flip tricks and stuff, but like he just rides back to the ramp. Maybe he gives a wave or two, but I'm like, like to the girl, like, dude, I've got like, cause I'm stoked to be there. But see, like he's like, but see you take, but then you take his perspective and like, he's done it for 30 years yeah. and, and he was a pro racer and, and it's like his life. I feel like I've been just on the pinnacle of like, maybe not being able to continue riding FMX for like injury reasons, financial reasons, whatever, where it's like, I really appreciate this shit. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I never lost the love of the craft itself. And I've never done a show where I was like bored. It just doesn't happen for me, but I see it in other guys yeah. and it, I'm jealous sometimes because they're so calm when they're doing their tricks and I'm still like, like you know, <laughs> which is my problem. I need to chill out, but my passion for the sport and that type of energy is so authentic that I just do. I can't help myself. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> bu- business wise related, like as far as like between you and that guy, what's another thing in the, because I know in the racing league in the racing scene of it, there's like sponsors and this and that. Yeah. Is it the same aspect with, with, with FX? So what's funny is like with freestyle motocross, the name like freestyle pretty well summarizes the business end of it. Cause it's just every direction. Like with racing, it's like, Oh, you're a privateer. Oh, you have, you know, a Pirelli sponsor. There's like kind of like categories. Oh, you're a pro racer now. Oh, you're making top tens. But then like, you know, once you get a Kawasaki factory ride, like, oh, now you're making six figures. Like there's very rigid kind of steps you can point out with FMX, dude. I mean, like I've probably made more money as an upright rider than any upright rider ever because I'm really good at the marketing and business end and booking shows and promoting companies I ride for so on and so forth. So like I've probably done more with FMX with less tricks than anyone. And I don't say that in like a bragging way. If anything, I'm kind of pissed at myself for it because <laughs> I've worked so much on the marketing and business and content creation and managing my sponsors and my, and all of that, but not enough on my riding, but it's also not a coincidence. Like, dude, I don't have land to ride. I ride yeah. at shows. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So I, I work on what I can, like, you know what I mean? But at the same time, like that's an excuse. I can spend a little less time, like, relaxing and like try to get some money together to go train more. So that's, that's what I'm doing this year. This where, year's the progression where in, push. Where and when do you get to practice? Literally 
for the last few years only riding at shows. As of this year, I have a buddy in South Carolina six hours from here in Greenville. So that's why I've been in Greenville a lot is, well, there's a ninja gym that sponsors me and there's a guy down there that um, has this freestyle motocross set up. So I, I've been riding there with him. He's an older guy, Rick Janeski. He's like 54, I think now. And I wrote a show with him when he was 52 to metal. It's crazy. 52, bro. 75 feet. Still metal landing. Sending it. Sending it. Yeah. <laughs> gnarly dude. Really gnarly dude. Up at six in the morning welding and just like. It's a cool guy to be around. Like he makes me feel old. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? You feel, some of those old dudes that make you feel lazy, you're yeah. like, like, yo, this old guy's still fucking outworking me. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? So, so yeah, dude, six hours away is like no joke. So I, it takes a lot of resources and planning for me to go, to go uh, train. So I don't know, man, like to kind of touch back on something we were talking about before, it was like, not a lot of people told me it was a good idea. But I think that like the one thing I am good at, if nothing else, is like I'm stubborn, bro. Like if I want something, I just won't quit. So that's basically what happened is I just refused to quit. And I got hurt a lot in those early years. And it was tough, man, to just pay bills and stay afloat and recover and like get myself mentally back on track to come back and ride. And um, I really wasn't until like 2016, 2016 to now. I've been different than like my 2012 to 2015. So what year was it when you, when you, when you did that first show? 2012 fall was like my first show. Okay. And how long was that from the time you went to that first like session and broke your collarbone to like doing that first show? So the, that collarbone break and everything was that summer. So it maybe three months. So I went up. That's still that's crazy, right? Yeah, that sounds that sounds so fast, right? I know. Well, there's not a lot of guys doing it, so he he actually needed me. Like you know what I mean? That I want right now. (laughs) Three months for real? All right, let's go. Ten tricks, man. You got it. It's also like the 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 concept of like Moto FX guys and racers and people who like do like you know, adrenaline based activity sports. It's called extreme sports. Yeah, extreme. (laughs) I get it. But you know, I'm trying to word it better. Like, who am I trying to reinvent the wheel? But like, (laughs) the concept of these, of those type of activities, extreme sports, if you will, Maddie, um, and injuries and the bounce back, like, it seems so fast. Like, always. I feel like, Everyone in, in that kind of situation is always pushing themselves to do things maybe sooner than they should. Yeah. And I don't know if that's been like a positive or a negative like ad for you. So, so yeah, like I would say, especially early on, um, I don't know how deep I should get. How deep should I get? Get deep, dude. Deep. Get, get right. gory. This like, is a little heavy. Let's get so real, dude. I would say my first I couple. I my dick. 66. <laughs> <laughs> So, so like the early injuries were bad. A couple of them were a little gory and stuff, whatever they sucked. But like, I would say once I started riding like arena shows, like once it was like, Hey, I'm going to be at Verizon center in DC. Then people started supporting me all of a sudden. Yeah. You know what I mean? Once I, once I get them free tickets to capital one or Verizon center back then, then it was like, people were more stoked Dude, about it. Give so me backstage. I hate to even list me. And it's like, even like, you know, uh, my own family was like all about it when it was like, actually, man, I'm just going to say it. This kind of sucks. But uh, so like my dad, he was all about it um, when it was like time to go to Pastrana's or time for me to ride Verizon Center 
or the freelance star was coming to do a story on me that he was front and center proud of me. You know what I mean? Stopping the cameras to prompt me on what to say different to include him more like kind of like, all right, chill out. Like, you know what I mean? And then in 2014, I missed the whole landing that crash video that went viral and I broke my neck, both arms, my collarbone, my ribs, my internal bleeding, all that stuff. So when that happened, everyone stopped supporting me. Like while you're laid up, everyone, nobody wanted me to keep riding after that, especially. So it went from my dad being like, rah, rah, this is my son to like, you're irresponsible. You need to get a real job. And I'm like, you knew the risk of this. You knew the risk of this the entire time. And now that it gets hard, you want to switch up and completely flip the narrative. And like, dude, that's what I'm saying. Like for me, like not having a lot of money, being such a lone wolf and having a family member who supported it and flipped it. Like I never should have kept going, dude. I don't really know how I kept it going. What age were you when that happened? 21. So you're still dumb as fuck at that point. Were you living at home? Were you living like when you're own? So that's another 19. So, and that was the thing. So it was like, I was making enough money by the end of the year when I was 19, I was making good money riding. I had shows all the time and I was like a hot new rider that people were calling. Like I was getting double booked and stuff. I was getting my first show in Virginia beach in 2013 team FMX or I'm sorry, FMX East back then was hiring me. Clint Esposito. He's one of my good buddies. So like, I was gone like nine and 10 months out of the year. And then I would be off around the holidays. So like at that point, 19 and 20, my mom was like, we miss you. Like leave your stuff here and come home. So basically I had a girlfriend in Fredericksburg that was like 30. I was 19, you know? So I'd go ride my shows and I basically would go hang out at my 30 year old girlfriend's house. So like I didn't really have my own place then, but I was on the road so much that it was like, it kind of worked out. I had my privacy when I wanted to go to my girl's house. And then like at Christmas and my birthday, I'd go see my parents and hang out with them. But that was what was so messed up too, is like, that was the only time I actually needed support was after that injury. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, um, I yeah. Like, that's like an eye opening kind of situation too, where you're dude. like, where you, every, I feel like everyone goes through that. Like when, whether you like are on, on just lost your job or some shit, you know, something's not going right. You're hurt. You're laid up. I remember like the first time I got hit, not the first time I got hit by a car. The only time I got Gosh. hit by a car. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I, not the first. I mean, the only. Yeah, we get that one but, time. I got I could just kiss the grill and I yeah. push him away. But, but then I remember the other time, I was riding my moped and I got rear-ended at a stoplight one night, like leaving Kingdom, like working, work the show, with, yeah, in yeah. fucking Kingdom with Jason and Mallory and shit. Yeah, and I got hit by a car on the way home, and like I remember being laid up in the fucking hospital, just like. Yeah, like they, the shit that rolls through your mind after an injury or some shit like that, like moments like that, whether it's near death or not near death, but like a serious injury or a could have been potentially serious injury. Yeah. Like it opens your eyes to like what's important and like, yes. yo, like where's my family? Where are my friends? Like who's with me? Like why am I like treating my girl the way I treat her? Damn. When, when like, when like she's the one who's here holding me down in the Damn. fucking hospital. Yeah. Like, no one else is fucking hard here. reset button you, on your like it, it perspective makes, shit yeah. like that makes you really think. And like, I feel like even with like family and support, like moments like that make you think about like your support system. Cause like I've been in my fucking twenties, I'm through my twenties dude. And I remember just running the streets with my fucking friends doing whatever fuck I wanted any night. And like, I could care less for like, not that I didn't care, but I could care less for like support system. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I got enough money to get by. Like, you're just doing your thing. Yeah, I'm doing my thing. I'm straight. Like, 
But like at at the drop of a dime, any one thing could have like derailed everything I had going for me because like it wasn't like I was fucking had some net worth of a fucking yeah. million, you know? Like, well, dude, and I think about that a lot too, just like in life in general. The amount of things that go right every day, we definitely take that for granted. Yeah. It could easily go wrong. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, it's become slightly inconvenient to hang out with you, Zach, because uh, <laughs> you, you know, you broke this thing while you were making your money that I was really cool with. And I liked all your Instagram videos, but, you know, um, you know, we're, me, me and Jason are going to go to Chili's Thursday. Uh, you know. <laughs> You're not invited. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you, we, we would invite you, but you, you know, you're not going to make it. You know what I'm saying? I'm sad. <laughs> you're sitting on a fucking pool noodle. It shows quick, just... though. It really does. <laughs> Like as soon as even the slightest bad thing happens, you can the, they get outed. You know what I mean? Them kind of people. Yeah. yeah, and it sucks. And I think most people probably wouldn't have that experience. But I would feel very fake to not kind of tell the truth of what happened there because that's a whole other layer of like mind fucked difficulty. It's like yeah. wow, the person that was raw rying behind me as my number one supporter is now telling me not to do this and that I'm irresponsible and all this shit. And like, so on one hand it's like you're weak, but on the other hand I have like some room for it. Cause like he's scared, dude. Yeah. He didn't want to see his son the die. Playing devil advocate of it. It's like, but what know. happened after that was unforgivable. So I haven't talked to him in like 10 years. Sorry no. to get heavy, man. It's no. just the truth. No, I cool. have not had an easy life, bro. Like a lot of people see the, the highlights and stuff. Well, that's Instagram. But it's for you, it's you know? like, dude, yeah. I'm just, I'm like a, a squirming animal in the gutter, just trying to <laughs> fucking bite the last fish or two before it's lights out. Like, dude, that's what it feels like, man. I feel like I've just struggled, man. But that's kind of the thing too, is like the difference that I've seen in people that just kind of glow and, 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 life is malleable for them. Like they just create kind of whatever the fuck they want to do versus people that are kind of stuck in a perpetual cycle of like negative energy and headspace is that the positive successful people, they do not view struggle and pain as like taking away from them. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Like it's part of the whole reward of getting to the top. Of it's the mountain. like, there's no, like the guy we were talking about earlier, Rick or whatever, mm -hmm. like you, I've done a seven hour, <laughs> eight day with this guy where he like welded, uh, carried stuff. We're hitting stakes into the ground. So it's like him being tired or his amount of like energy output is never, it's never a question of that's a guaranteed. You know what I mean? And like, even like for me, like with like rehabbing injuries or something like that, like I know so many guys that like also broke their wrist once and like they'll never ride again. And I'm like, dude, my wrist is still crooked. I've broke this thing four times. But like when it's time to do the PT exercises, I'm an animal. Yeah. I don't let, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm obsessive borderlines, but it's like the input output of like effort to results. A lot of people view effort and struggle as like taking away from their like overall being. And that's a really bad way to think about things. Cause anytime you start struggling, you're going to back away from it. Yeah. And I have family members that are great people that are very honest, loyal, awesome people on the, on the like emotional and like loyalty compass but, but they do not have the effort side of life figured out at all. So like you have to be empathetic and stuff and you have to like, I think like leave space for different types of personalities. But at the end of the day, if you view struggle or effort as taking away from you, like what the fuck are you going to do <laughs> in general? Yeah. But a lot of people live there and I'm, and it's sad because they don't realize like even if their job takes a little bit of effort, They'll keep showing up and they'll do the bare minimum to get to money. Most people do the bare minimum to get by. Most. Yeah. I think. There's a whole aspect. I could dive so. Right. Like, we go down a whole rabbit hole. And people. I'm not saying I'm right. We can, we can, we don't even got to, we, we can, can be wrong. Lazy. Dude, there's, I wish I could say. There's definitely like, yeah. There's definitely the, 
I mean, I don't know. You go, you can go down such a rabbit hole of just like the term lazy or the term like overachiever, like, right? Or the term like that's true. Like there's 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 so many uh, sides to that coin. Yeah, yeah, and there's like some people just don't don't care to do more because that's not what they care about. There's. Do you think that's real though? No, the 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 concept of like, well, my life outside of work, like. Is, is everything like I, I'm living my life to be happy and joyful. But, but when that's like, when you're using that as a crutch for like not working hard enough to even be able to like afford your life. Right. You have to put in work to earn those memories with your child's daughters, whatever you got going on. You want to take the kids to Dollywood? Guess what? But you got to put it 80 hours money. a week. Yeah. All right. Buckle in, buddy, at your little target fucking copier job. <laughs> I need you to buckle in for 80 hours a week so you can afford Dude. this little cheap vacation. You can have these memories. Dude, the I'm not con- saying that everything's perfect right now. Everything's absolutely fucked, and we all know that. Yeah. But you got to work, man. And every, I think at the basis, I don't think people are naturally lazy. I do think people want to work, but we are fucked right now, and we are not going to go into this whole and like, yeah, yeah, we're like the, Let's go back the, to 360 yeah. fucking impossibles <laughs> on Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3. But that goes back to effort. It's like, there's there's a thing about effort. Like, when you're learning to ride motocross, when you're learning to fix your moped, when you're, like, going to rallies and you want to become a better rider, all this stuff takes effort. I think effort and there, doesn't necessarily mean reward. It doesn't. Look at me. I no. made a sick-ass chopper. Some might call it a limo, but I did make it a chopper <laughs> finally with the help of a person we won't say. And then you eat shit and you break your fucking shoulder. That's life, man. It's effort well. does not equal fucking reward. Your effort can fail, much like your first break, but oh, your determination. Sure. 100%. Dude. But pra- you know, it's like practice, that, that whole saying, like, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice just makes uh, improvement. <laughs> it's like, you can always get better, and the amount of effort you're putting into something, like, could potentially pay off. Doesn't mean it will, but if you're a kind of person that doesn't put in effort at anything you do, why should someone reward you? Yeah. I mean, and there's scales to it and there's so many different ways that people dissect and want to live their life. So I'm not saying I have anything figured out, I definitely but don't. <laughs> I think that like the people I've met that seemingly just kind of like if they want to do this or this in life, they're just kind of do it and they're successful and they're like seemingly happy. I, that's just what I think has been one common denominator. And, and I think like a lot of people aren't willing to like ever kind of figure out what they're best is like they never even really know where the real threshold of like what they could do is because they don't really try and that's like the one thing i like dude i don't really think i was ever meant to ride fmx dude i've seen some of these guys that i ride with they have like just some screw in their head a little loose dude like they just don't fucking care bro like they're just like i'll be like oh how do you do this trick and they'll be like oh no never tried it and they'll just go almost crash and just be like oh man almost ate it i'm like yeah dude that was almost the end of your year bro like how are you chill about that and they're like oh just go like just lean a little more left next time and i'm like damn dude it takes me like i'm the opposite it takes me forever to learn tricks but then once i have that trick i'm solid any setup any show any condition so like that's why I get hired so much is I'm a showman and I'm really consistent and then I market the shows well. So I'm not the loose cannon that's going to come out and do a trick you've never seen me do. Never. Yeah. Well, on June 2nd, I will be. But ah. until now, that's I've been very conservative, dude, too conservative. But I is partially I, this could be an excuse, but I think there's a lot of truth in this. I had to, man. I didn't have a backup plan. I live alone. I pay my own rent. Like, you know what I mean? Like my mom doesn't have money to bail me out. It wasn't the backup money. It wasn't the fucking super sponsor fucking paying you fucking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. 
So you fuck your bike up. Like you got to fix the bike. Well, and it's like, and it's like, I don't know. I, I've reflected a lot on my career and like, even just to go to Europe for two years would have been so expensive. And there's like, and I got paid on top of that. So it's like, to me, like the FMX that I've done up till now has basically been like a paid ticket around the country and the world to hang out with guys that I like to, to get the coolest feeling in the world, which is like you're riding in front of a crowd, you're a little scared and you do it anyways. And then yeah. the show's over and you're going out for dinner with your buddies and you're like, ah, like, you know, like it's the best feeling ever, you know? Yeah. Blood oh off dude. Yet. Yeah. Like if I do a new trick, I'm like naturally high for like a week, just yeah. like, ah, like, you know? So, and I think it's cause I really love it. And I think it's also just cause like, dude, I have worked a lot of other jobs and like I was really good at them, but I was fucking miserable, man. Yeah. Welcome to Kinkos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them. I mean, I've had some cool. I guess I've had maybe some cool jobs, but in general, like, nah. It still man. felt like a job. Yeah. And when so you're riding, it, it doesn't so much feel like a job. It would. It's so worth all the all the floors I've had to push through to kind of come up into like a new level of confidence and stuff. Because now I really can like drive to a show four hours away and I'm genuinely just like listening to music, chilling my first couple of years. That was a four hour stress drive, my friend. And it yeah. was not fun. <laughs> and there was no happiness until the last <laughs> jump was done. And then you're driving home. So, I mean, but now yeah. I've, I Zen it. I'm like, Hey man, whatever's going to happen happen. Like, let's enjoy this shit. I love it. And when I get there, my thoughts, dude, controlling the quality of your thoughts. That's, that's pretty high level shit. I feel like even just right. One thing I've, fucking been thinking about a lot lately is that whole comment of saying i feel i say that way so you guys listen to this podcast you've heard me say i feel a lot i try to like not like i i need to stop saying that so much like i i feel like (laughs) i mean fuck my feelings doesn't matter i feel and it's also like i'm being real it's not like oh i feel like this it's like no i actually do this like it's not a feel i'm not guessing it's not sometimes like there's definitely been times where like i'm writing and not the whole concept you said about about keeping the thoughts out of your mind and keeping your mind focused Mm -hmm. like i've had those moments where i'm writing and out of nowhere completely left field the worst cringiest like the worst possible thing that could happen while riding your two-wheeled vehicle yeah pops in my head oh yeah and and you're like taking a turn like Ooh, but my fucking front wheel could go out right now. Yeah. <laughs> slide across into incoming traffic. Yeah, and yeah. Get fucking, like, why is that right. going through my head? And it definitely makes it more possible. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, I hate that feeling so much. Like, and I don't know if that was, if I, I don't know if I, if that was ever just me or if that was like something that everyone who rides like a two wheel vehicle goes through. Like they're called intrusive they, thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> they live rent free <laughs> out of nowhere. This is the worst thought comes to your mind about just eating and wrecking and dying. And yeah. Like, and, and like that's, and, and I'm having fun and I'm enjoying myself. And like, and it's honestly the last thing in my mind when I'm writing, but sometimes that thought pops in my head out of nowhere. And I'm just like, and I have to like mentally like, like fuck, that dude sure like reset yeah well and it's like that's i think that's like human nature too like your body wants to keep yourself alive so if it sees potential risks like it just pings you you know a little bit here and there i had a i feel like i had a breakthrough of that very early when i first started riding fmx i was battling those thoughts and then i got like really pissed one day at myself and i actually went and did my whole trick list and the entire time I was yelling in my head, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. And I did it. I said, see, 
Oh, shut the fuck up, Zach. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It was like, it doesn't yeah, matter. You know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but then like it on the on the flip side of that, in Europe, I got so comfortable riding every day. We did, I don't know, 544 like consecutive shows. Like, it was insane too, you know? Yeah. So it was like somewhere in the middle of that, I've definitely caught myself like jumping over drift cars in front of a sold out cloud, doing my biggest trick, looking over at the crowd, not looking where I'm going. And I'm like thinking about where I want to go for dinner that night. <laughs> like, you know, I swear to God. Like, and I was like, wow, man, I guess I've grown like mentally. Like, I'm not even worried about this shit. I've done that. I've landed and been like, I was literally just thinking about what I wanted to eat. Like, yeah. what the fuck? That's oh. really funny. That's like the cruise control at its yeah. fullest. Like, I've definitely, we've all been there where you've done a task at work and like you finish the task and you're like, ooh, did I look at that? Yeah. Or like you're driving and you're just like, <laughs> you do some turn, you do some shit, you get off a highway exit it's late at night and you're like, how did I, how did I get here? Did I fucking pull off the road? <laughs> yeah. Dude, like, I mean, I drive a lot. So yeah, yeah. Little, little road naps. <laughs> yeah. Dude, your mind's just not there. I mean, like last 20 miles. What was I doing? Yeah. I, hit a I guess I was driving. Once. It was fine. <laughs> it's a fine line to walk between complacency and anxiety. And I, I really yeah. think it depends who you're riding with. <laughs> For sure, man. Dude. So as far as breaks go, like in, in a career like yours, how many breaks have you had? We're talking about bone breaks? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Because we all know that's like... I know. It's not like avoidable. Mm-mm. Like you're, the thing you're doing is dangerous. Yeah. And you've accepted that and you're, you've are you pushed past it. But from time to time, you're still going to get injured. Yeah. I've had 27 orthopedic fractures and I've had six orthopedic surgeries. <laughs> and then I've had, I don't know three or four documented concussions, probably more than that. And then probably. severed fingertip and a lot of dislocations and stitches and staples. That's a lot, dude. Internal yeah. bleeding. Yeah. It's not, not fun. All the things, all the things. Yep. What was, what was like the least, the, the easiest injury? Um, Why is that you metacarpal in your hand. That that wasn't bad. Four weeks. I, I crashed once and my clutch lever just kind of like, I don't know. Something on my bike hit my hand as I crashed and it broke like a metacarpal mm-hmm. hands, but it was a hairline and it was not displaced. You know, it's like, it's really more the details of like the break kind of, and you popped them and you're just like, Oh, that feels funny. Yeah. Like, I kept riding actually. And then I got home and it looked like someone had slid a softball halfway cut, you know, like a half cut softball. And it was like <laughs> under my hand. And I was like, I think that probably is broken. <laughs> so I went to the doctor. Sure enough, it's broken. So it was like, whatever standard issue, it's a way six week way cast than, than fighting. <laughs> but then like I broke my foot and it was a pretty minuscule hairline fracture, but feet suck, bro. Cause they're so hard to isolate. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm a rice warrior, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Like mm-hmm. if I have an injury, I'm doing everything I can to make it better. better. But with your foot, <sighs> fuck man it's hard to elevate it like you know what i mean unless you're just laying around all day which when i broke my foot i had shows every weekend and i couldn't afford to stop so i was just riding every weekend so yeah so we got to the point where i was there's videos of me biting onto a towel shoving my foot into the boot so i can go ride (laughs) and like i was like uh riding really good too it's funny i don't don't think i'd still do that that star wars joke (laughs) it's made made the fourth so we'll joke on it you know let the hate flow through you you got this i'm sure that swelling and stuff when you go vertical yeah trying to keep it elevated and whatnot dude it doesn't it doesn't help so so those all sucked yeah the the one we talked about earlier the neck two arms collarbone ribs internal bleeding that was really gnarly let's tell the whole story on that one because i remember i remember talking to to you about it and (laughs) yeah and and just like 
the lead up to it, you guys knew it wasn't a go and you did it anyway. So kind of go through that. Sure. So that was a case where I had rode a full 75 foot gap metal to metal or metal to dirt the whole winter for monster jam in arena shows. Okay. So I was really used to just coming in and blasting full gap. So you hit it hard. And when you have some of the sketchier, smaller dirt landings, you don't want to come up short. So your best case is to go like a little hard. So that was my muscle memory from the last few months. Okay. This was my first local show. It was for my sponsor, Fredericksburg motorsports up in Fredericksburg. I love them like family shout out. And so obviously I wanted to do like a cost effective show for them and it's, I'm limited to like what landings are available. So there happened to be a landing in Maryland that I had rode a bunch of times. It was a good ramp. Um, but it was, it was a more of a homemade bend, not like a pro standard, if that kind of makes sense. So instead of doing 75, we would run that ramp at like 60 or 65 and it was so steep, like a quarter pipe, more like a quarter pipe that if you tried to hit at 75, you, like you're going to front flip cause it's your, uh, the radius of the ramp won't allow the bike to hit at that speed without kicking the rear wheel up. The ramp stuff is more fine tuned than people know. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. I mean like a double flip ramp is a double flip ramp. Cause you know what I mean? Like we, there, we have certain ramps that are for certain standards. So, that ramp was really good when you were doing like a hockey arena where you can only ride 60 feet, but you want to get lots of pop for good tricks. So it was a great setup. I'd rode really well on it and I had jumped it at 30 feet and brought it back 10 feet at a time. And I had also showed up out of the blue and blasted it at full gap. So I was confident on this thing, but it was metal, you know, yeah. we're in a parking lot. And so because those ramps were so different, I had already thought in my head, I'm going to practice on these and I might start them in closer and bring them back. I probably would have started at 50 and just on 50, 60 and then been done with it. Um, the axle blew out on the way down. And this is what's so funny is like that probably should have ended the show, but the guy I had bringing it is an engineer also really smart guy, Mike Angerman. And he mm. fixed it, which is kind of funny, like <laughs> to think about, I was like, man, if he just wouldn't have fixed it, but <laughs> dude, he was, he was coming to do a show for my sponsor. I was so happy to hear that he had fixed it. I was like, Oh my God, you saved the day. You know what I mean? So then, but, but they were delayed because of that happening. So then as we're setting it up, the crowd's already there. It was like whatever, a one o'clock show. So it was like, all right, well, no practice. Put the ramps in and practice in front of the crowd and then start the show or just blast it and go right into the show. And I was like at the peak of my hype in those days. I had just done like Pastrana's house, Monster Jam tour. I think I had done like my first Discovery Channel snippet with Jim York or whatever back then. So I was like, my ego got in the way. I, I didn't want to look amateur, but I knew that I should practice on it. But it's like, dude, that's kind of this. You're not always 100% confident. Like sometimes you fucking just do it, you know? Like, you've also had like this like past couple of years of just telling yourself like, fuck it, dude. Don't dude, be scared. Just exactly, send that shit. If ex- you're going to do this, do this. And it works most of the time. And that's why I don't beat myself up too much about this injury. It's like, sure, I do it different now because I've learned, but I believed in myself. I mm-hmm. checked the box if I got this. So like, is that ever like the wrong answer? Well, that day it was, but you know what I mean? Like, so I came in and hit it like it was like a f- hard 75. So I went like 107 feet. So I missed the whole thing, missed the whole damn thing. And because I hit it so hard, it, it kicked my rear wheel up. So I was like front flipping the whole way. So I went 107 feet from like, I don't know, 40, 42 up to just asphalt and the, it was front wheel handlebars face just like, 
And, you know, I just wear a helmet and boots. I don't have a neck brace or chest protector or any of that. Not because I'm a cool guy, because I, I like the mobility advantage. Yeah. yeah. And when you crash like that, the chest protector is not going to fucking do shit. Like, you know. Yeah. So that was, that was gnarly. So the bars kind of came through like this. See what I mean? And I got like wrapped around the front of it. So that's why it was both arms, neck, collarbone, ribs, all that stuff. Because the bars came through me. And so I would, must have been slightly off of straight because they said if I would have taken that same impact for all the damage it done straight, they just would have been lights out. So, but be, I guess I had like a micro tear on my aortic valve. So all the surgeries I had to get then were really high risk mm -hmm. because that, if that burst, I would just bleed out or whatever. So like my friends and family at the hospital were having a worse time than me. I was, I don't remember those two weeks, but yeah. they're like telling my friends and family like, Hey, like we have to do surgery on his collarbone and there's like good chance he might not like make it and stuff. So it was, and I'm not saying that to be dramatic. It was like, I feel bad for my friends, dude. Like they were like crying in the lobby and stuff. Like people were really worried about me. So that was like definitely life changing. And I was having muscle spasms on the surgery table and they couldn't give me any, like um, they were about to bring in the anesthesiologist or whatever. So they couldn't give me any like pain medicine or anything. So like there was a good 30 minutes of just like seizing on a metal table waiting for to be put out. That was hell. It was bad. And it was like, I guess it had torn through so much of my pectoral muscle and the collarbone was like wedged in the back of my armpit and I had a broken neck and arm. So it was like, my body was like, I don't know. Those pec muscles were like moving and the bones were so fucked included in there. So it was just like error message almost. It was like, ah, ah, ah. like I was just like, there was no way for me to exist or move. That wasn't just like excruciating 11, 11 pain. It's pretty bad. Um, but yeah, man. Like that. I mean, the surgeries went well. My collarbone's strong as shit, bro. It's fucking <laughs> titanium, Steel, you know. Reinforced as fuck now. <laughs> God damn. And so, and, and so, chicks dig scars. <laughs> and what's so funny is like I had had so many surgeries and been put out, and they're worried about my aortic valve. They couldn't fix my wrist then. That's my my wrist is so crooked. Is that was scheduled for like six weeks after this. And I went back and I was already moving it. And they're like, dude, you have more range of motion than we would expect you to have post-op. <laughs> like just run that crooked wrist. I'm like, all right, <laughs> 10 years later. <laughs> and they're like, are you going to keep riding FMX? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, how many times have you broke that? I was like four times. And they're like, well, just fix it the next time you break it. I was yeah, like, all right. It's just, it's just the wrist, man. Yeah. <laughs> to all our foreign listeners, this is the American healthcare system. How we, how we handle breaks, okay? What, do you think I'm a millionaire? They would go to the doctor? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've got an inspirational speaker and a fucking best friend all in the same fucking introduction. Jesus fucking Christ. This has been great, dude. I, um... Yeah, it was heavy, man. And that was that was when life was really confusing for me. I was in kind of a dark place because it was like uh, all that was going on. And then like my family fell apart then. So I was like, it was like I had nothing, bro. And that was like right around like this was the end of 2014 going into 2015. And so that was when my dad was telling me you're irresponsible, all this stuff. So I booked this tour in Japan, okay, through my agent. Mm. And it was supposed to be a 10 week tour and they added four weeks to the beginning of it last minute. So instead of having six weeks to recover after the crash we just talked about, I had yeah. two weeks. So I swear to God, swear my mother, what I'm telling you right now is true. Through that the crash that we just ribs. happened, both arms, collarbone, neck, C7. I broke my fucking neck vertebrae. Okay, all this shit. Two weeks after the cast came off from that, I was flying to Japan to ride because my dad was like, 
you can't have your stuff here anymore, all this stuff. And I was like also determined, like, hell yeah, I got this. And like, dude, I didn't crash the first day. Like I actually rode, but the first, the first time <laughs> I, I clipped it. The first day. <laughs> yeah, I, as soon as he said that, yeah, yeah. We, we didn't, we didn't miss that. We did not so, miss that. So yeah, dude. So the first time I came up short, like six inches, it was too much force for me to hold on. So I crashed and I broke, I snapped my thumb clean off my arm. It was nasty, dude. It was just hanging down. You can see the surgery scar. Um, and then this fingertip got ground off by the end of the handlebar and the asphalt. So I had to have a thenar flap surgery on that. Let me see this thing. Yeah, Which one? So, okay. So you see that finger? Oh yeah. It's a little short. So it's short and that's with the palm skin that they rolled up and transferred. So what oh. they do is they, well not rolled up and transferred. So with they, I had a severed flat finger. Okay. With like pretty much no nail. The nail's still there. You got yeah. a good nail. So they, they sew it to your palm and then cast it. It's oh. called a thenar flap surgery. Wild. And so then it has about an 80% chance to take. Like if you heal well and you're relatively healthy, your and body should in. take it. But sometimes it doesn't and they have to cut it off. So what the skin that you see on the top of that finger it's is the skin. inside of my palm, not even the outside. And if you look, I don't have like a fingerprint on that. It's just oh, like nice. weird lines. So that and that, oh my God, dude. You, see, I'm a very like obsessive OCD person with like, the touch of that finger, dude. The way that than everything else. The way that that finger felt for years drove me absolutely. I never thought I'd recover from that. Like I'd go snowboarding or something, and like I'm not cold at all, but my finger's so cold that I have to stop after an hour. Like it would just get cold like that. Oh yeah. So touching it. If anyone has a fingertip injury out there, it's listening to this. Touch it until you are so uncomfortable that it doesn't feel like you're touching it anymore. Like I just made a nervous habit of just doing this playing with it all, all the time. Just, yeah. <laughs> playing with it all the time. Like, I've been doing that for a long time. Been good yeah. at it. <laughs> I know how to play with it a little bit. So. <laughs> do my thing. You know? Dude, so. I, I lost, what did, what did I do? I got, but that's a heavy year. I got like, I got like dental work one time. Mm -hmm. Like they did some grinding, you know, filled some stuff and they, and they put in some fillings, but the, but the filling was too tall. Like they didn't grind it down enough, and my bite was different. You know, like how you how you close your Throws mouth, off your jaw, you clench your teeth. Yeah, and like it feels normal. Nothing feels weird. Imagine like having like a fucking dime sized thing between your teeth on one side. Oh, that sucks. So I closed my mouth, and it fucking this one side was just always higher. And yeah, I, that would drive me nuts. Dude, it, it for weeks I was just like mm -hmm. I can't, I can't, I can't. So I'm just like this is like this makes me imagine your finger i'm just like i imagine like what it would be like it's like i was just like Ugh. i want to fucking kill myself i can't deal with <laughs> dude, this dude it was bad like, I, it, it was so weird well, and i couldn't handle it even when i first saw it um that's probably the only time i've actually panicked and like not been okay even with the gnarly injuries when my arm was folded against itself, I just didn't look at it. I knew my arm was broken, but something about the fingertips <laughs> gone, bro. Nah, nah, <laughs> I was pissed, bro. Like I was cursing dirt bikes. I was like, fuck this dirt bike shit, bro. Like I'm over it. Like, you know, no, I didn't really say that, but like, that's how I felt. I was genuinely scared. And, and my one buddy was looking for my fingertip on the landing. The other buddy was like religious. He's like praying for me and shit. The other guy's pouring water on my head. Meanwhile, the Japanese ambulance is like not able to get in. So I was like on the ground for an hour with a snapped off thumb and severed fingertip. And oh, and they don't use any pain medicine in Japan and they had to clean my fingertip. So that was fun. 
Um, I was worried about my numb pinky since my injury, but you know what? Now that it's, I'm thinking it's numb, and, and all right, you know what? I'm good with the numb. This is still there. Fuck. Yeah, it's weird, and it, dude, it's the way shit is. Like with your body, like it could change too, for real. Because I've had areas like where I've had surgeries where like the 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 higher part of my left pec had no sensation for years. Yeah. After the scar, and, yeah. after came back. Surgery, and all I would say, like three or four years later, I I like touched there, and I was like, "What the fuck? I can feel there again." <laughs> it was weird. Oh, I wonder what it's like, like the rehabbing the muscle for something like that, like your way pet, worse. Like your pet. Yeah, my like, muscle that's a took big, way that's a longer. Big muscle. It took with any muscle injury or tendon injury. I tore my MCL once. Like those are like bones suck, and when they're displaced, they're nasty. And overall, like breaking my femur was probably the worst pain I've ever felt, but. Fingertips are pretty bad because of all the nerve endings, but um, yeah, man, it, none of it's fun. I, the injuries suck, man. But Jason, did you bring me here just to endure this and feel grateful for where I am in life? For fuck's sake! <laughs> like you're all right, dude. You'll survive, dude. I was trying to find this picture so you guys could all see this, and I, and it was like I thought in my mind, I was like, oh, I know exactly where to go to get this photo to put it on for you guys, but. I don't want to see fingertips. Oh, did you was a fail. fingers? So our homie Mike, that used he's he's been in mopeds forever. He's in my moped club. Lives in, lives out west. Yeah, and he used to work in a moped shop in Chicago. Like I'm sure everyone's heard this fucking story from fucking moped, the moped shop in Chicago called Moped. Who who would have thought? What a great name! <laughs> so original. Wait, but moped? It, yeah, <laughs> but he's like working on a bike, and he's like he was the shop mechanic. He's working on a bike fires up it's running and he's checking some shit and i people are gonna you can correct me if you're if i'm, if I'm fucking it up because i definitely am I, cause it's <laughs> from memory you know but it was either one of two things he either got his fingers caught in the flywheel while i was moving because uh. he was like checking the timing and doing some stuff chesting the bike uh. and his fingertips got caught in the flywheel and he either got caught in the flywheel and the flywheel took his tips off or it, like, sucked his fingers, like, into the chain, and the chain fucking chopped him. Duh. But, like, he, the tips of his, like, middle finger and his ring finger, like, the two ends, like, the, <clears throat> the whole nail part of one and half the part of the other one are, like, got chopped off. And, like... That's intense pain. He fucking... They wrapped it up, to the hospital, all this stuff, and they couldn't reattach it. They kept the fingertips, like, in a jar. Yep, that's what I mine remember was too, our yeah. homie Sean, like, they were partying one night at a rally or at a shop or doing some shit and Sean like fucking takes a fucking shot with his fingertips in the bottle <laughs> and like spits the fingertips back into the fucking glass. That's amazing. I wish I could have kept mine. I tried. Oh, dude. Dude, so mine, mine, because I was laying there in Japan and they're like, hey, you need surgery on your fingertip and your thumb. Um, but your whatever uh, entertainment insurance uh wouldn't cover the surgery so i had to go back to the states oh, okay man. well dude you can't fly with bio material like as a as a passenger you can't have like body parts in a fucking vial but you bro explain the situation bro, like, Yo, dude bro, that's, that's so that's part so of i have soft casts on both of my arms okay and they have blood in the end of both like i look horrible dude like i'm i'm in japan <laughs> i'm in tokyo airport with like the my agent drops or not my agent the 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 guy that was like the promoter there and they had like a translator for us, Sasuke. See you, buddy. They brought me off at the airport and they're like, bye. And I'm just like, I got all these bags with my gear and stuff. And dude, shout out to Japanese people.
people straight up because they were just they they pretty much carried me like you know what I mean like in the movies like there's like all your stuff yeah exactly yeah like dude they were I've never had more help in my life like it was a breeze honestly and it was like they were just taking my shit like I didn't even I was like oh I guess I trust these people like I had more stuff than I could and nothing was taken like everyone just helped me and that's it that's all so so as this is going on though I'm boarding the plane and. They're real serious with way. I don't know if you guys have ever flown in Japan, but like when you fly into Japan, it's not like Mexico. It's not like countries in Europe, which is like, hey, what's up? It's like they're standing there with like assault rifles and they're not smiling. And my agent told me like, hey, when you're going in there, like you're already a tattooed dirt bike rider. Like don't fart. Don't laugh. Don't make a joke. He's like, they will literally uh, deny you <laughs> if you're fucking around at all. And you like kind of like act like their border crossing is like. Ooh. they won't let you in dude which that didn't happen to me but so on the way out they inspect you and they find it right away and they pull it out and they're like you can't fly with this like what is this and I'm like it's my fingertip and like they didn't know what to say bro so they like asked you know whatever their manager who asked their manager and like I end up talking to like four or five people at this Japanese airport okay Japanese just, airlines like, put them in my cast you know yeah <laughs> and I'm like and I'm like they literally just keep saying I can't fly. I was like, it's my fingertip. I was like, and it was on ice, you know, I was like, I'm trying to get it reattached when I get home. And so they let me fly with it. And it was so funny because of the little Japanese stewardesses, they would bring me ice for the finger every whatever hour. So it's a long <laughs> flight. It's like 15 hours, you know, you need a drink, sir. Yeah. Uh, no, oh, dude, they got me ice. wasted. I was <laughs> wasted, bro. Like I was so drunk. I wasn't even in my seat. I was with all the stewardesses. They're like looking at my fingers, taking pictures of it, get up, taking shots. Like it was an experience. Uh, but dude, that was really cool too. Japan was awesome. The people, my, my, my translator cried at the hospital. Cause he felt like, like he cared about me. Translating dude. your tears, dude. That's a good like, fucking they were translator. Just, God, they were just so cool, man. I was, I was so happy that like people treated me that way. Like at my most vulnerable. Cause I was like, dude, if people wouldn't helped me, I don't know what I would have yeah. done. I was bleeding out of my hands. I needed two surgeries. <laughs> oh, so I got back. They couldn't reattach the finger. So they did. The yeah. <laughs> all this way. From I know, but I had it in a McDonald's cup for a <laughs> what long the time. Fuck? And then it started well, like in the vial in a McDonald's cup, like a clear one. Cause I didn't know, dude, I want some fucking <laughs> virus grown out of shit. So once it started to get to like zombie level eight and it was just like green, nasty goo, one day it just wasn't there. I don't know who got rid of it. I was pissed. I'm still not okay with it. I was like, I wanted to bronze that thing and wear it on a necklace. Put it, put it, put it in the freezer or <laughs> you know? Something. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the whole fingernail was on it. It was very evident what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. They told me that it shouldn't have grown back, but they said like where it was severed was like a micro inch or whatever micrometer micrometer from where the seed was that's and they, crazy. most of the time Dude, it doesn't work that's oh so crazy. take a biotin though that's what really helped that mm. mm-hmm. sponsor <laughs> shout out CBS. no it's, my it's man, not brand my, specific my man needs that money <laughs> I got some allergies too. Glared in up with this bitch. No, but uh, yeah, yeah man, got, crazy got, stories. Got deep pockets, dude. That could work. <laughs> oh man, dude. Speaking like as far as nail stuff goes, like I put my thumb in a in a fan at work the other day. <laughs> and why just, like, the fuck would you do that? It was an accident. <laughs> I know. I'm joking. Yeah, it was an accident. <laughs> thoughts, yeah. He let him in. Thumb went in a fan. Chopped up, chopped my my nail off and cut it really short. And you know that feeling when your nails cut really short 
and it fucking uh, hurts the it's touch. like sensitive. sensitive. Right. Imagine that being the fucking your whole finger. Oh, fuck like, you, bro! I've wa- already been sitting through this. I, I'm done. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering, like, if the nail doesn't grow back at all, does it feel like shitty, sensitive, like that forever, uh. or does it eventually get kind of calloused? Over? Huh. I think it would probably get because cal- I cast over eventually. So, so un- mine wasn't just the nail, so I don't really know, you yeah. know. But I've never t- had just the nail. But I have some friends that have like lost a whole lost nail. a whole toenail or yeah. something, and I think it was pretty sensitive. But I don't know from first <laughs> I got lucky. I, I literally lost my toenail, and it grew over the top. Now nothing is pink anymore. It's just all new nail, the whole <laughs> length of the fucker. But man, that whole time that it wasn't there. I didn't Don't like touch it. Shoes. Can't put a shoe on. Like putting like, socks on, probably. Sandals felt. are daring too because then you're just open. Good <laughs> luck. Ooh, just free balling it. Living on the edge, dude. Dudes, are, <laughs> we yeah. <laughs> Some guys <laughs> in my gym that go in there and lift with sandals, and I'm like, bro, you were just asking for your toe to be wrecked. Yeah. Those people are out there deadlifting barefoot. Yeah, like, I feel I feel more 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 grounded. Yeah, if it's the five toed shoe thing though. <laughs> That's legal. I have oh, no, yeah, I have yeah, no yeah, confidence yeah. for you to show what you Charlie got. Budget, you Charlie made this bed yourself. Right it's called again foot gloves or something like that. Oh man, um, I, I don't. As far as like the business side of like of, of something like that, like so, when you have a contractor or tour booked and it's scheduled, and you get injured, is there like a back pay for injury, or are you just shit out of luck because like you didn't show up for your events? Totally depends on the event and the contract. Like with freestyle, it's freestyle. So like if you're a newer guy and you're going to do a fair and you crash in practice, do not expect to see no money. Like, you know what I mean? But like at my level, I have a deposit. So I at least have that. You know what I mean? Um, And then if it is like a stretch of shows, like you're going overseas to ride for six months, there's usually a clause in there about if you get injured. And so, like, I think when I got hurt in Poland, they gave me, like, a month's pay and all my medical bills were covered. You know what I mean? That's in Japan, I, th- I don't think I got anything. I just had to come home. But they had paid me a pretty good deposit up front, and I hadn't even rode enough to cover that. So I was like – and that cost them a lot of money. Yeah. So I, I felt bad, but it was just like um, – yeah, man, I've learned a lot from that. Yeah. Not like you wanted to fucking lose your fingertips. Hell no, dude. It was terrible. So, so yeah, it just depends on the contract. But, like, yeah, I'm self-employed. I work as, like, a 1099 contractor. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially, like, entertainment class. And so, you know, I have my expenses, which I pretty much do mileage every year if I'm driving the shows. Mm-hmm. And then I have my income. And all of the contracts I do, whether they're one-day shows, two-day shows, weekends, few months, whatever, they're all – infinitely unique you know what i mean like it just totally depends like this one i have coming up in virginia beach is like state funded event so it's all the bells and whistles but like i'll still go do a fair show in georgia for my minimum if i need the money or whatever you know and my bud's definitely playing paying those estimated quarterlies uh, irs (laughs) he's on top of it he's got his shit together no audits please for sure yeah only the state messes with me actually yeah yeah the only people i've had to resubmit to a bunch and deal with bull crap with my fmx taxes actually the state not the fed yeah which is weird i think but. it's the most genuine crap i've heard on this podcast <laughs> that was like a sunday school like <laughs> the bull crap <laughs> oh shit but um yeah man it's and it's like it is hard sometimes like i'm never really off dude like some of my buddies that hire me are raging alcoholics 
And, but they've been doing it like that since they started, since the sport started. Yeah. I won't say their names because it'd be kind of fucked up, but way. dude, he's just like, the dude doesn't like, he drinks till five in the morning, wakes up on his RV floor and fucking just oh, goes out shreds. And this dude is like not in good shape. Yeah. Drink all he does. All he knows is party. But he learned, you know, 40, 30 tricks in 2001 and he's still rocking it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, I love the dude, but like, yeah, like our business relationship is like, he might call me at 2 a.m. drunk with a show. Like, yeah, this guy's show and fuck George for you. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm kind of never off. Like I'm One always, call. but that's the thing is like, it is what I want to do more than anything. So it doesn't feel like work, but sometimes I do have to realize that like, crunching details is still crunching details. So there, I, what I've learned, and this is super recent mm -hmm. in the last few months is that I do have a cutoff now, like at like 9 PM, even if someone hits me, I'll handle it the next morning. If it's like my buddy or a really good opportunity, but I've realized that like, you really have to set time if you're self-employed or you're doing your own thing or whatever, you have free time that is mixed with your work. You got to have parameters for that. I'm very like, I have, I struggle with moderation in every direction, good things, bad things, everything. So like, even when I have a productive day, I get like really deeply like associated with like the input output of like completing tasks or something. And it'll be nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like still trying to like organize shit or like fold some laundry. And it's like, whatever, you know, it's like people be like, exactly. Can you just chill? Or I'm like very checked out of that for long periods of time. But even yeah. the gym, dude, like I'll overdo the gym. Like, I'm just like, I'm very like, we can tell I can, push, <laughs> I can push like really hard with stuff. That's like good or bad for me or stuff. But I really lose track of like, I have to pull myself out constantly. Yeah. But as far as like, um, your scheduling and your booking, like, do you, do you tend to like give yourself a certain break in between things or you try to stay as solid booked as you can? Totally depends, man. I kind of just free ball it. Like whatever I'm feeling, like, I mean, first of all, there's like the, the types of shows. So like there's one company I ride for, like I, I'll say it. I, I think that's okay. <laughs> Dialed action sports. Shout He's like out, my bro. buddy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so they're, they're like, dude, they pay excellent. It's always like top pay hotels covered. There's no, like, it's always really good. And they're all like one day shows. Yeah. And so like pretty much if he calls me, it's like, yes, because I'm going to go like the the work effort to like money I'm going to make ratio is just worth it. And he's got a really good, clean setup, safe. So it's like those I would never probably turn down. But it's like and then there's other people I've rode for for years. And if they had like a normal fair show in Indiana for like mid pay right now, shit, I'm poor enough. I'd have to go do it. But ideally, I want to get better this year so that I can be more selective and just do the big shows that make me more money, do the, make the flip pay, yeah. make the body variable pay, whatever this new level of stuff I want to accomplish. But then like, if I do get a call for more of like a work class show and it's not an experience I want, I, just want you I can air. pass it up. But to answer your question, like last year I averaged 1.2 a week. So I actually rode every single weekend for five months straight for monster jam. Mm -hmm. And the only weekend I had off was to compete on American Ninja warrior. And then that summer, there was so many weeks I booked two or three shows in one week. My average was over, <laughs> over a show a week. So last year I ran it up, but I was absolutely run exhausted ragged. and run ragged. And like, I was, I don't even know how I did that, honestly. And I was like training for Ninja Warrior in North Carolina and South Carolina, like in between my events. So, um, so I, this year I'm like, 
dude, I've done every upright show and like, I've done some, re- there's some really fun events that like you wouldn't think just like when certain fairs right show. What do you mean by that? So upright FMX tricks. So like you're not doing flip tricks. So like I've flipped, I love flipping. I'm good at flipping. I've flipped to foam pits, landings, whatever. But like the money I've made up to this point has, is all upright. So I haven't even made flip so pay there's a, yet. There's a pay bump when you, when you're doing flips 2.5 times. So I'll make substantially more money once I'm flipping. If yeah. I'm now, I'm probably still going to ride upright spots for six months or something. You know, like I'm not going to get hired on flip shows every weekend right away, but yeah. that's slowly transitioned to that. Cause How there's feel, sorry to cut you off. But no, no, no. Like, as far as cause last year you said you were so booked out, you're doing so much. You're above your average. Right. Did you feel that was a hindrance to your progression? A hundred percent. But I lived it up, dude. I had a great year. Like I traveled to so many cool places. Like I had never been to domestically too. Just like, I mean, I went to other countries last year, but just like, it's like, fuck just live, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I did. But like, even like, I don't know. I did a show in Knoxville, Tennessee. I didn't feel sick. Right. I didn't know, bro. I went out and I'm like, had some good buddies there. The show was fun. It was like sold out. And like those types of weekends where I made great money. I was with my buddies. I'm in a new city and just living and I'm not. And I, and I don't got to flip because that there is a benefit to that. There's also a risk. You're right. So like now I'm going to have to put the pressure on myself and I'm probably going to be nervous again at the beginning of shows for a little while, but it's like, it's worth it just because I've, I've played out this upright mid-level pro spot for so long. Like I've kind of squeezed all I got. Like, I can keep doing it, dude. Like people will keep hiring me and I love it, but I'm like, let me give you an example. I'll go to a show and there's a guy who owns the ramps and like, it's time to go do our first jumps in practice. And he's looking to me for the first jump timing, which is kind of like, honestly, the heaviest part of the show. Cause once you've jumped the setup, your tricks are kind of autopilot. Yeah. It's must deep muscle memory. You know what I mean? And for guys that have been flipping for years, deep muscle memory. But that first jump, it's like you're transitioning into like, you know, sometimes like the lighting and what's around you. Like I've jumped shows at 75 where there was like really big lit up Ferris wheels like 10 feet away from us. And like, dude, it kind of fucks with you. There's like all these flashing lights and shit. There's people next to you. And then I've done ones where you're in an open speedway and it's all concrete and the crowd's, you know, 500 feet away and there's great lighting. They all feel a little different. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I've always had really high level of is just my pure timing. And that's why I'm like alive. Like, you know what I mean? Some guys get into this. They can learn a million tricks fast, but they can't time the gap to save their life. They have pretty short careers. You know what I mean? I've seen them come and go. So they got big balls, but they don't have enough respect for like the fundamental part of it of just timing the jump right. Mm -hmm. You have to spend a lot of time figuring that shit out. And that's where I have like really high level understanding to the, where I only use the bottom percent of that too. So, but once I started realizing that some of the flip riders were looking to me for stuff like that, and I'm like kind of outriding them in the show. Not all of them. Do this by all means is not. I'm talking about just like a couple examples where the guy I was riding with was the flip rider, but I was a better dirt bike rider than him that day. I mean, he was having an off day and I was on one. Like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. I'm not saying I'm better than him, period. But just like there's been days where I went, man, and now he gets to flip and make all this money. Like, why the fuck am I not doing it? And it's like, dude, it's a, it's a definitely a resources thing. And I hate feeling like an excuse guy, but just like, yeah, man, I, it's really hard to get people to trust you to come ride their foam pit. Do people die in foam pits? Like, you know, like nobody wants to that's have not that liability. That's not something you ever even hear talked about. Cause it's like, that's the last thing I would think. 
Yeah. You think of like Woodward skate park and all this shit and little like fucking 15 year old, yeah. five year old kids flipping in the fucking foam pits. It's different like, with it. You didn't die in a foam pit, but like it's definitely different when you're thinking of big bikes. 250 pound anvil above you. Yeah. Or you fucking miss the fucking pit. Miss the pit, let go of the bike. And dude, I've done a perfect flip at 75 and came into the foam, but like some of the foam got packed underneath where we couldn't see it and we try to fluff it after a few jumps, but Mm -hmm. it's not always, you can't see it's, you know what I mean? So I hit a spot of packed foam and just get ragdolled over the front of the bike. Like I hit a wall and that's what tore my MCL. Mm. So like the last time I practiced 75 foot flips, I did a really good one and tore my MCL just from something completely out of my control. Yeah. So it's like that. And then it, and you're just like, fuck, I should have threw it on dirt, bro. I can't <laughs> dude. it's funny. Cause I actually would have been safer then. Yeah. yeah. And, and so then I came back the next year and I did, I did flip to a landing, but I did a 40 foot flip in first gear, which is funny. Cause way less guys have actually done that. Cause it's a shorter distance to rotate this big, heavy motorcycle and you're spinning faster. So yeah. slowing it down or speeding it up to land it and ride it out correctly is actually harder, but it's mentally was more easy for me. Cause it was like, lower to the ground, slower. Mm-hmm. So once I did that, I had guys that had experience in flipping talking to me and they were like, dude, you're going to be a good flipper. Like you just flipped first gear, 40 feet. They're like, how many practices did you do in the pit? I was like 10. They're like, what the fuck? I didn't know. I didn't know I needed more. Like, you yeah. know, guys spend weeks in the foam pit before they flip to a landing. So that's when I realized like, damn dude, I do have talent. I just need to like put myself in a position where I can go spend some time at a foam pit. Problem is dude, some of these guys at foam pits, they want you know, 2,500 bucks up front and they live 20 hours away. Yes. Four grand just for me to go get my first day of foam pit training. And like, dude, I've been trying. It's, I don't, you know, I, I make decent money, but I'm also very irresponsible with my money. So I don't save a lot of money. Hell yeah. <laughs> We're like, all right, guys, uh, Benadryl hit my boy. Up, uh. <laughs> like what other sponsors we got? Oh shit. Dude. But, um, as far as like, uh, Cause I, cause you said earlier, you were talking about skydiving and like that being like one of your like fixes. It's like, I know like hearing people talk about skydiving makes me think like skydiving the squirrel suits and all that shit yeah. and how like all the founders and that shit all died. So it's like, when you think about early motocross and FX side of it, yeah. like how many, what's the average of people who have like lost their lives doing something this dangerous? More than, Yeah. More than like what's cool because it it's not something it's ever, not no one about. ever talks about it, no one ever thinks yeah. about it. They're just like, Oh, the FX and the show and the lights right. and the they fucking just see circus, us flying and the it's air. like, but no one thinks about the people who've died, like, they're nameless, like yeah. heroes that have, like, you know, whatever, they're like, they lost their lives doing this. I know, man, and yeah, I've known a couple of them, unfortunately. And I've, do you want to know it's like arguably just as hard? Well, like, first of all, so yeah, like, there was a guy in Florida, Paul Smith. And, um, he would give me advice really before I even started. And he was already like a flip rider. Like he was already famous flip rider. And I'm just some kid on Facebook. Like, Hey man, I'm trying to learn Superman seat grabs. Like, you know, and he was like taking his time to respond to me. And he had flipped for 10 years, dude. Like he was gnarly, really good rider, really calculated. And he under rotated a flip out West and landed upside down and died on impact. So that sucked. And then like, I've known, of course, other riders to die. I've also known other riders to die from non FMX things, unfortunately get get hit by a car drunk, stuff like that sucks. But so one of the hardest ones actually too, is like one of my buddies that I was kind of a peer, like we started around the same time. Mm -hmm. I was a little better than him. And then all of a sudden he started learning a bunch of tricks and the last tour that we did together, um, I wanted to beat him every weekend. 
and if I saw him fuck up, I was glad. Like, you know what I mean? I'm competitive, yeah. dude. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're still getting our money, but like, I wanted to be the up and comer that was like this spotlight was on and I'm so high energy in my show. And like, dude, that's what I'm saying. When I'm feeling it, I'm not missing a trick because I'm sending that trick before I check to see if I'm safe on the landing. So I'm just doing the shit. Yeah. And that's when I'm feeling it. You know what I mean? That's when I love riding. Oh, where was the landing? Oh, yeah. So, I, <laughs> so I'd have that shit and then it'd be like time for him to go out and do his run. And I was kind of like, whatever. And like usually he'd kill it. But then there was like one day he missed on a cliffhanger and I saw him crash super bad. And like that's when I realized that he was my friend and I didn't just, you know what I mean? I was like worried about him and he was fine. Okay. Yeah. So then like a year or two later, we've rode together at some random shows or whatever. And I still have that competitive edge, but like he's a buddy and he fucking crashed and didn't die, but he's been paralyzed since. Mm -hmm. So that fucking sucks. And when I heard it, I didn't even want to believe it. And I didn't even hit him up. I started like looking up like stem cell shit. I was like, I felt, I felt so many feelings at once because it was like, I almost felt guilt that I ever like wanted him to like fuck up or something. Cause it was like, dude, I never wanted this type of like, Jesus fuck. Like, you know, so he's, I mean, dude, he's a, he's, so he now has like a handy capable bike where he like straps himself to this fucking dirt bike with a metal cage around him. And he still goes out and jump shit like a badass. He's a legend. There's not a lot of guys that do that. And he's trying to be like the first handicap rider to do like, I don't know if he's announced it yet. I don't know if I should say it. A certain type of flip trick. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's like the really hard shit to deal with. And like, there's so many things outside of FMX that I like to do, like work out and run and swim and fuck and hang out with my buddies that like, I need my able body for. So sometimes I think like, man, would that be worth the trade or whatever? And then it's like, even on my crash video, Dude, I had to get used to like ignoring stuff. If you look through the comments on my viral crash video, never look at the comments. <laughs> never en- do Dude, not. Dude, people engage. are fucked up, man. Yeah. Like, how do you say some shit like that after you see that? Internet and one of the guys was like, "Oh, hopefully this will teach other people not to do this stupid suicide sport or something like that." Which, like, dude, I guess some people just have that lens on it, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but like, There's a ton of sports like that. It's all our lives. Dude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and. Like, that's what makes it cool. Like, that's why people are watching it, too. Like, it's a duality. It's not just it's bad. What about the guys that are doing it and not getting hurt and people love watching it? That's not a bad thing. Who wants to watch fucking MMA or some shit? Like, like, they're all getting fucked up. Right. Like, that's not what I want to do, but but I'll watch it. And so my buddy came in, like, the Calvary and replied to that comment and, like, (laughs) you know, like, told basically told him what was up. So it was like... Yeah, man, it's hard. It's hard, (laughs) dude. Like it's hard sometimes to stay positive and stuff. Um, when I think about stuff like that, but I don't know, dude, I've been along alive long enough now and I've done enough shit where it's like, it's so cliche and corny, but they say what, find what you love and let it kill you or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like, I I don't want to live or like, I'm okay with something like lowering my like quality of life or anything like that. But like, I think you like 99.9% of the time, if you're like making a decision based off like fear and what if thinking Mm -hmm. that's not like the right place to be in. Like you can't live like that, dude. You can, what if yourself into any doubt you can not walk across it. Oh, what if this fucking car just takes off of this red light and hits me? Oh fuck. I better wait at the sidewalk. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can leave my house again. What if thinking is infinite, dude, you can like never find the end of that fucking rope. So, Mm -hmm. 
as soon as I start what ifing, I'm like, man, what, what's important to me? What do I want to do? And, and yeah, like, like time off of it, like the 2020 year where I was a marketing consultant and a successful marketing consultant, making good money. I probably only worked 30, 40 hours a week and I dressed up nice. Like I had some pride in it. Like I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Um, but that first show I came back and rode, it was like, oh yeah, <laughs> like this stuff. is the juice, oh, like the, you know what the, I mean, the, like the, the sauce, yeah, <laughs> man, and 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 maybe I am just a, a maybe it is an addiction, maybe I'm just an adrenaline junkie, I don't know, but when I see kids and teenagers or like old dudes that are into dirt bikes that are passionate about it and they're coming up after the show. And they're just like stoked on dirt bikes again in general. And we're yeah. just sitting there stoked on dirt bikes. And it's 2023. Like that's really cool to me because like FMX and stuff, that boom was our gen, like late nineties, early two thousands. Extreme sports. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maddie's too. So it's like, I don't know, man. I think like if you love something, you want to see it stay alive and prosper. And like, I, I hope to get good enough to use like once I'm a better rider and I have more marketable tricks on like a world level, like mm. this body variable I'm working on and stuff, flipping flip tricks. I'm hoping to bridge the gap with like different other bigger industries. Dude, look, look, I, I had this small idea to be on American Ninja Warrior. I'm a two time American Ninja Warrior. Now I know all yeah. the people at NBC and like, they have like other things for me potentially in the future and stuff. Like it was a great thing for me to do. And that was based off this really small idea. So like my goal is of course to flip and and do these like higher level FMX things I want to do so that I'm good enough to integrate into other industries and like kind of give back to the sport in that way. Like I'd love to produce my own entire action sports show that's like music, bands, <laughs> DJs, bands, food, yeah. uh, action sports, and and like whatever, you know, style we want to put on it. And yeah. like someday like that can really happen and that is sick and yeah. you also have to think of like it's even for everyone else who's doing stuff you do or like a kind of extreme sport you always have you always have to think of your exit strategy you can't fucking do this shit forever right you're only your body's only young for so long you can only handle it for so long stop reminding so, me <laughs> oh you're old and washed up already dude we got it <laughs> No, I'm just counting his numbers from today. I just took a quick tally. I was like, fuck. So like the first types of shows I did were like fairs and monster truck shows and stuff like that. So it's like people standing on grass and like they're excited and there's, you know, a thousand people. So it's really fun. Mm -hmm. but that, I remember thinking like, man, if I could ride a big outdoor show where there was thousands of people, man, that's, I can like, I can die happy, you know, then I did. And then it was like, oh man, if I can make what these other guys are making as a minimum to be upright, and be riding shows like this. Then I did. Then it was like, man, I want to ride like speedways and arenas and stadiums. That would be cool. Then I did. Then it was like, man, if I could ride like the DC, you know, where I went and watched the Capitals and the Wizards playing and ride my dirt bike there and be in those locker rooms, like that would be cool. Then I've done that so many times now. And then it was like, I wanted, I wanted my riding to be shown on national TV, which I didn't get that through X Games but I got it through American Ninja Warrior where they crazy. had a minute of me riding before they even showed my run, which yeah. is insane because people train for years for that, get way farther than I did and they don't even get TV time. And I got a minute falling in the water like, yeah. for my intro. I mean, they rented me a bike and everything. You know what I mean? So it's funny how that's one thing I'm worried about myself a little bit. Like, like you said, like 
you got to have an exit strategy or whatever. It's like, I do think I'm like, I build momentum in that idea and I start believing in myself more, which is good, but man, I got to pull out sometimes and examine. And that's why I like talking to you, someone who knew me so long ago in life. It's so cool to hear like your perspective on that and remind myself kind of where I came from. Like I was just a 15 year old kid, like (laughs) playing shows at KC's hanging out. Like, and so like now I'm like proud of myself in that sense, but I'm like, man, so what is the end goal? Is it to like get a gold medal at X Games? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is that the end goal? Or is it the actually the way more lit shows in Europe, Night of the Jumps, they've been going on since 01, never been one not sold out ever. And the Euros go nuts for FMX. You jump the ramp and wave and it sounds like someone just won the Super Bowl in there. You know what I mean? So I think more than anything is I'm like chasing like those particular unique vibes on those nights where like, I did like some new part of it and like riding Bristol motor speedway. Have you ever heard of dude? Perfect. They're like the most popular YouTube Mm -hmm. channel ever. They hired us to come ride FMX at their thing. I got to hang out with those guys. They're playing like soccer with football goalposts and in side-by-sides. That was part of the show. Then they had like a demolition derby. It was like nuts. Okay. Then we jumped. That was 35,000 people, dude, 35,000 people that are there for dude perfect and whatever, all the stuff going on there, FMX. And then we went out and did like a 10 jump banger, dude, like nice and short and just like, God, every jump, every trick was just, you feel it and then you land it and you're, it's like you're existing in the arena. Like I don't think a lot of people get to really feel like genuine fear and terror and then you do it anyways but then there's an arena of people like that's like some old roman <laughs> vibes like you know what i mean like it's real and, well, and like, so there's like jumping your bike in front of your girl and it's just her yeah but you got ten thousand other hers right. looking at you like <laughs> yeah yo fuck up bro dude <laughs> dude and so and so and so like there's that which is like kind of the allure of it but then there's also like the other stuff like getting to ride with certain guys i grew up watching and so like, like somebody asked me the other day, they were like, what's like the most adrenaline filled you've like ever felt in a show? And I was like, man, that's a really good question. And it was from like a girl who knew nothing about anything like that. She's like yeah. an art, artsy girl in, in Richmond, you know? And I'm like, man, that's a pretty intuitive question. And I thought about it and it's like, not the crashes, not even the 30, 40, 50,000 people shows I've ridden for. It was going to Canada, my first time to do a freestyle motocross show. And it was US FMX, FMX World Tour. So it's like this world tour, okay? And so this was the first time I got to ride with like in a show. Like I had met Pastrana and like rode at his place and stuff like, but like in a show in front of people, being with like someone that was on my like top 10 list of riders as a kid before I rode FMX. Yeah. That hits different, bro. That's like opening for whatever. Yeah. You, you loved Seos in your whole life and now you're opening for him. Like you're losing your mind. We're like the 20 people you came with don't know who Seosin is, but like, or whatever, you know, hopefully not <laughs> losers. No, kidding. But so, so it's like, that's where I was at. And, and so I'm driving to the show in Canada. I know the caliber of riders that they're having at this event. Okay. And so I'm reading through it. And one of the names on this list is Brody Wilson. I don't know if you guys have heard of Brody Wilson, but he's been, at the top of the game for whatever, 10, 15 years. All right. And he's like, I've always kind of identified with him a little bit. Um, I think cause I really like his style. He's more on like kind of the humble side, but he's, he, one of the first videos I saw of him 
when I was a kid, before I ever hit a ramp, he was interviewed in an Acacia Strain t-shirt. So I was like, oh, I fucking like this guy. (laughs) He's wearing an Acacia Strain shirt on some like, you know, super big YouTube account. They're fucking about to go out on tour with Lamb of God. Yeah, I saw them last year. It was unreal, dude, at Canal Club. But um, so right that day, I was like, oh, this FMX guy's into the same music I am, okay? So that was the beginning. So then I watched, well, I already knew him from like, certain videos growing up but then i saw that followed his career and now i'm like driving to ride with him in a show dude okay so i'm like nervous to meet the guy i'm like oh, i don't want a fanboy like i gotta just act cool like, oh what's up dude like you know like i can't like say how i'm really feeling like and that's another thing is think about this you know me dude you know that i'm like pretty like i don't have much of a filter i'm pretty emotional dude i feel things so like the fmx guys they are generally not like that mm. You know what I mean? So like, I'm always like, they're always telling me to toughen up, whatever. Yeah. Or chill or whatever. Yeah. It's not a big deal whatever. And I'm always like, this is amazing. And they're like, dude, chill out. You know? So, so I'm getting there. So first of all, Brody was just like the realest, most humble dude ever. Just like super cool to me. So that broke the fanboy thing right out of the gate. He just treated me like a friend. So I was like, Oh, this guy's just cool. Like a friend. And, uh, so then we're talking about the format for the show and I got to practice. So I got to jump in front of him and I'm doing my tricks like as big as I can look, trying to look back right at him, see if he's watching and shit. And he is. And I'm like, fuck yeah. And we both ride Honda four fifties. We're the only two guys on Honda four fifties there. And, um, you know, it's metal to metal, 75 feet, polished concrete in an arena. And it was, a uh, the Budweiser gardens in London, Ontario big crowd and it's all BMX FMX. So there's no monster truck fans. There's no fair people. These people are here because they love FMX. So they're stoked. And so then they announced like, Oh, we're going to come out and do a jam. We're going to do this and that. And then there's going to be a doubles contest. There was six riders. So there was two, two and two, three teams of two. And we had to do a double contest where we'd go out and do four jumps. And then the next team would go out and do four jumps. And right when they say that, like two of the guys were like buddies. So I figured they were going to be on teams. I didn't know who was going to be. I was like, I was kind of the lower guy on this show. I think there's two uprights and I was like the newer one. And right away, Brody was like, yeah, me, Zach, me and you will be on a team. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Like I'm about to be in a doubles contest out of the country in an arena with fucking Brody Wilson. And he picked me to be on his team. I didn't even have to, like, I would have never had the balls to ask him that. We do the first, like, tandem jump slash jump to the next guy's bike. Swap bikes midair. Dude, I wish. But so, so, so this, so we go out and he's like, hey, like, let's alternate who's in front and who's behind each jump, which I had never, most people don't want to do that. Usually people are a little more comfortable in front or behind and you just kind of adapt. And I was like, hell yeah, dude, let's do it. But that had, that meant that I had to change the way that I rode because it was a tunnel show. So you couldn't take an arcing corner. So you had to go hit your rear brake and just start from a dead stop from the wall. Cause we didn't really have enough room. Yeah. So I would have to start from like a whole eight feet closer to the ramp when it's already tight when he was behind me, which I had never done before. So I just like, that was one of those moments where I was so scared to ride. It was metal to metal asphalt. I didn't have money in my bank account then, dude. I could not afford to get hurt. And now he wants to do this really gnarly way to do a doubles contest where I'm changing my run every jump. And it was like, just because it was him in those circumstances, dude, I just did it and rode like the best I've rode like up until that point. And so like the first jump we go to do he's behind me. Okay. And so usually when you're jumping with someone in a train or in a doubles contest, it's like, and you can hear that and you do your trick. Maybe you look back and they're like back by the ramp (laughs) with fucking Brody. dude. (laughs) 
It's like one noise. It's just, Rah! and I do my trick and I'm looking back and he's already in his trick behind me. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And like, dude, literally like I can hear his bike over mine. You know what I mean? And I come back and I'm just redlining, bro. Just like my, I had to have a 200 BPM, like just, just full, like your instincts take over like you know and i landed it and he and i saw the video of how close he landed behind me bro i mean inches inches i have the video inches okay so then we go and i'm like that's the closest anyone's ever been to me in the air on a motorcycle that was the gnarliest thing i'd ever experienced in my life at that point and the crowd went fucking like nuts. No, no side by side high fives. Nobody was getting that, <laughs> nobody was getting that close, even close to that. So then we're going back, and now it's my turn to be behind him. So I'm like, I gotta step up, bro. I gotta be closer to someone than I've ever been in the air. And I just send it, man. And I yeah, right behind him. I commit to my trick, okay? And I come back and I'm going deep. And Brody's perfect, of course. So that's bad when you're behind someone because I'm catching him. So like when we landed at the bottom of that metal landing, I was about as close as him. Not, not as close. He's a master of that. Yeah. Not as close, but to me, the closest I had ever been. And so for a split second went through my head, hit Brody and take him out or just lay the bike down. I laid the bike down <laughs> and I dude, it was so weird. I should have gotten hurt. And he told, tells this story about how funny it is. I've heard him tell this before, but the way he says this, he was on his bike. He heard the crowd and some noise and looks, and I was just sliding perfectly on the top of my helmet into the wall. <laughs> Where my ass and back, like I crashed and somehow my body got thrown up on the top of my helmet, like arms out next to me and That's just slid on the polished, <laughs> <laughs> slid on the polished concrete perfectly on my helmet where my back and butt and everything hit flush like thud. And then I fell over and he was like, are you okay? Stood up. That's the most crowd noise I've ever heard in my life. Dude, they went absolutely nuts. Would you have hit him? If I don't you, know if you, if you committed, if you held on, I think I was so nervous at the possibility like, of taking so him out that I like, would rather I just wad myself. I can't take out this fucking legend, <laughs> dude. No, my hero, like literally one of my favorite writers ever. And he's like the coolest dude ever being cool to me. And, uh, and so like he asked me if I'm okay. I stand up, crowd goes nuts. I go to pick my bike up. My bars are trashed. The triple clamps are bent and the left side of the bars bent and my brake is snapped off. Clutch lever was bent down and shit. I was so redlining with energy and adrenaline. I just got on my bike and we went to finish the run and we finished. I did every jump of the doubles contest with those bent bars and you could not pay me 10 grand to go jump with handlebars like that, especially to metal because you do your trick. You might, you can figure out where straight is going into it because you have a little couple seconds to figure it out. Okay. Yeah. But then you do your trick. When you come back from the trick, your muscle memory is laying with straight bars. So every time I landed, it was like, Skr! and I was like getting head shaking, almost crashing and finished bro. And we won the doubles contest. And then I go back and I'm fixing my bike. And I had this epiphany of like, what is that? Like, why was I able to do things I have never done in my entire life, ever, even close, never jumped that close to someone, never won a doubles contest, never rode that good, and would never jump a ramp, especially to metal with handlebars bent like that. And it was because I was riding with Brody, dude. So what is that? I think we call it a pissing contest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously. Take, I'm going to say that. shit out of your story, like, flat out. No, that's, that's that adrenaline. That's, that's years of learned stuff. That's stuff you had bottled in you. Using your brain at full percent in that moment. That's all that is. And like what made me 
like be able to use that hundred percent. So it's like that's that steel sharpening the history. Steel thing. So it's like so we as humans when we like witness something growing up and then you like revisit it and it means something to you. Like you just have superpowers then I guess like that's, that was the epiphany I had from that. And I was like, wow, man. And what's crazy is I haven't really gotten to ride with a ton of that type of top level rider since, but anytime I do, it's kind of the same thing. I kind of just rise to the occasion and make it happen. And that's why I'm really proud of myself and like happy with how I've been the last couple years, getting better, learning new tricks, not doubting myself. But that's where I'm like, that's in me somewhere. I just don't totally know how to tap into it until it's like a organic situation like that. And then it's like, it, I don't even think about it. Well, maybe that comes down to like having to surround yourself with more people that are, that are on that level. Dude, you are as spot on as spot on gets. And that's the thing is I live here in Virginia. Cause you, you do so much by yourself. Even from what we've talked in this conversation, you, you do so much solo training. So yeah. this, like, Having to, you don't have, you're not surrounded by the resources that some other people have. Right. Like maybe they're that. on that level because that's what they're riding with every day. They can't help but get better. It's just true. They get better by mistake. Yeah. They're not even trying. Damn. Helix on mountain bike trails. Yep. <laughs> well done, brother. So I yeah, I'm to turn you up, dude. You're you're very spot on with that because that's exactly what I've been like seeking out lately is just trying to find higher level guys to train with. And I've realized that like, that is what I need for sure. It's time for you guys to move to Virginia. I don't know why you guys are sleeping <laughs> on us. <laughs> try and keep up with these moped kids. And this normal traffic, you know, these little skinny pooks. I'm trying to come have some fun again, dude. That night was a blast, dude. dude we'll take you on one of those trail ride days. Dude. We, we Please. Shit it up, dude. I'd love it, man. <laughs> Just give me like a two day warning. I think I can do it. <laughs> dude. So I know you kind of touched on this, ninja warrior thing i remember like printing the shirts for you like yeah. a while back when you did that but how did you get on ninja warrior dude so, so that's such like a it's it's like one of those like iconic yet like cheesy shows like, yeah you, you know like oh, it is you sure. watch it everyone's stoked on it when they see it like ah oh, ninja warriors and you watch it yeah. but no one's like feels like no one's really going out of their way to be like oh i gotta see next week now. yeah <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know we could get more niche than moped podcast <laughs> but here we are it is niche dude and that's the thing is it really did start out as like it was just like a reality show and like if you watch those first seasons dude i could have fucking ran through those courses i would have yeah. killed it in those first seasons and then like people kind of caught on to it and like enjoyed purposefully going out to like just do body obstacles like that but like on a higher level not just like the Spartan obstacles or like, Oh, climb this. It's like technical things that you have to kind of like have some gymnast traits to accomplish. And, um, so anyways, I mean, I just watched the show as a kid growing up. I loved mm -hmm. it. it was, I thought it was so cool. I loved seeing like the different people from different backgrounds and you'd be like, Oh, this guy's a doctor. He's going to eat shit. And then he'd like kill it, you know? And then there'd be like a, whatever, someone that you'd think would do good and they'd fall. And I just, I just thought it was interesting. So, um, 2019, I was riding my shows, you know, 2020, all my shows got canceled for reasons we all know about. Mm -hmm. And I was bored, dude. I was like, I was like, all right, I got to get a real job. All my shows are canceled. So I was working as a marketing consultant among many things. I sold cars and trucks that year. I was a marketing consultant the longest and I sold like home improvements. None of them treated me well. None of them paid me what they agreed to pay me commission wise. They all had excuses and mm -hmm. it was like, I made good money at all of them, but once someone like doesn't do what they say, I just, I don't think it's worth my time investing it anymore. So anyways, I'm sitting around bored as hell, dude. And it's like, I'm working out I'm running, whatever. My gym was closed at my apartment, but they had the outdoor stuff in Shaco up in Jefferson Hill park. So I was working out up there with like 400 people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
I was like, man, I need like a physical challenge to just like occupy myself. You know what I mean? And I was at my marketing consultant job going through some emails and I was fucking off and I got on Facebook and I was just scrolling through Facebook at work, bored. Mm. And I come across a kid I went to high school with and he had shared a link where he had applied to be on American Ninja Warrior. And I'm like, what? I didn't know that you could just apply to be on it. You know what I mean? So I start looking at this kid and I knew him and he was kind of, kind of a nerd, very nice guy, but like not somebody I would think is going to be on American Ninja Warrior. And then I look and he works at a ninja gym and I'm like, Oh shit. Like there's ninja gyms around. So I'm like thinking about it and I'm like, man, I'm in better shape than this guy. Like why would I not apply for American Ninja Warrior? And then I start, and then I watched like, some highlights from the previous season and the vibe that I got is that they didn't want like gymnast zero zero seven. Like it was like they wanted niche stories. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) never seen a professional dirt bike rider on there. Yeah. So I was like, dude, I should just like do something with that. And then I came up with the name. I was like, dirt bike ninja. I was like, sweet. And I hit up Neelands. Shout out Josh Neelands. You remember him from Fred? And so he, uh, he designed me that dirt bike ninja logo with like the ninja star and me Mm -hmm. doing a sea grab indie, whatever helicopter on it. And, um, I went to a ninja gym that first day. There was actually one in short pump called boomerang. It got closed. Yeah. So I went there. That was like the only one around here, dude. And it closed that year. But I went there and just filmed myself doing like, they had an easy line and an expert line. And like the first time I went, I crushed the easy line, crushed the expert line. And the guy working there, there was a hand bicycle and it was an uphill hand bicycle. And I did, it took me two tries. I got it on the second try. But when I walked off from that, he was like, Hey dude, I've worked here for like seven months. He's like, you're the second person I've ever seen complete that. And the guy that did was like on the show and he came down from Nova Ninja to hang out. I was like, no shit. I was like, I guess I'm actually maybe good at this, you know? So, but they didn't have a wall. They didn't have some of the things I needed to like measure to see if Mm -hmm. I could actually do it. I just submitted the video. I forgot about it for like three, four months. And then I was at, um, I think hot chick and Chaco <laughs> just having chicken sandwich and a beer. Banger chicken sandwich. You know, I don't remember the spicy what one. Yeah. Like I was a little buzz. I was hanging out, having some food and I was like in the bathroom peeing and I, I go to walk out and I see a Cali number and I almost didn't even answer it. And then I was like, ah, who the hell is this? Probably some spam. And I answer. And he's like, hello, this is Peter Scalia from NBC. I'm the casting, you know, uh, manager or whatever, casting representative. Um, do it. it I'm trying to get a hold of Zach DePaulo. And I'm like, this is him. <laughs> He's like, we've selected you for American Ninja War. And I was like, dude, I couldn't believe it. I freaked. I came back like this girl I was dating, sitting there eating pizza, like half drunk. I was like, I'm on American Ninja War. She's like, what? I'm like, I applied for that show. They just called me. I'm on it. She's like, shut the fuck up. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm serious. And so it's funny. So to give you the very niche story, I'll try to keep it concise. So that first year, 2020, mm-hmm. I got on the show regulations with COVID changed in whatever state they were filming in that year. I forgot because I didn't go. So they went from being able to have like 120 contestants to like 60 or something. So they're like, damn, we got to do something. So they did like a four person team that year where it was four people on a team and they was like, they would pass the baton or whatever. You know, it was like a team thing because they couldn't have enough people and they're not going to cut the veterans from the show. So they basically were like, listen, we were really excited to have you on as a new character. We really want you on the show. But because of COVID regulations, like we can't cut the veterans. Apply again next year. So like I was pretty bummed. But then I was like, man, more time to train, whatever. Yeah. So then they, they some of the executive producers at NBC 
hooked me up with one of my really good buddies, uh, Devin Dougie Harrelson. He's been on the show like eight or nine times. Man, you would love that guy. He's awesome. He's just such good energy. He's a tattoo artist. Hell yeah. Um, he's like my height and weight, um, but played like college ball and stuff. Um, in super good shape, dude. Like, uh, I don't know how else to describe him. Like he's always got some funny color dreads or something. Mm. Like he's funny dude and just the best energy. So then I started going down to the area in North Carolina to train with him for the next season. So I competed in 2021 and in 2022 in Seattle, Tacoma, Washington. And then last year was shit. Uh, San Antonio, Texas. So yeah, man, just literally just like scrolling through Facebook, saw someone applied for the show, boom. Full send. Yeah. Like that that's par for the course. Life right? story. Yeah. At this point, life story. <laughs> yeah. It's like Zach, full send in it. Just again? send. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was, yeah, quite an experience, dude. Like the first year was weird because there was no crowd. It was just all cameramen and NBC staff. So it was like kind of weird to be in a stadium, but it's empty, but you're on TV. It's weird. Yeah. And that year I would say that year I didn't, I wasn't, I was probably light enough weight to get through the course, but I did not practice lache technique enough. I could only lache about my body length and that's not. What do you mean when you say lache? Oh, my bad. Lache is like, if you're holding on to like, let's say a pull-up bar, it's just flat. Jumping it. Yeah. But you're holding it just, your your legs are dangling Mm -hmm. and there's another one, however many feet away, four feet, six feet away. And you want to go from this pull to that pull without using your legs. Your, the motion that you do to do that's called a lache. So okay. you basically swing on it and then you throw your legs in front of you and then your arms catch up. But you mm-hmm. gotta, it's kind of like a dirt bike jump. You gotta look right where you want your hands to land. You can overshoot it. You can undershoot it. You can do it with too much forward force to the point where you're there perfectly, but you peel off because you have too much forward energy to yeah. save it. It's very nuanced, dude. Like the guys that are really good at that sport, like, dude, they've been rock climbers for 30 years. So their muscle mechanics and like, the way that they make the course look is not realistic for someone that's not done that their whole life. Mm. So they make it look easy, dude, but it is not <laughs> like for sure. The granted, I'm probably like the most injured person that's ever competed on the show. So <laughs> like the stamp, I, w- the I hope I get something, dude comes back to haunt me. There's a reason no pro dirt bike riders about American injury. Warrior. I hope there is more like, you know, prove me wrong, but it, it was hard, man. And so I dedicated a lot that first year. I was pretty depressed with how bad I, like, I mean, to me, it was like advanced to semifinals or nothing. Like I wouldn't have been happy no matter what, unless mm-hmm. I advanced. Um, so didn't. And then, and then the next year I really cut weight and worked on technique and I had monster jam shows every weekend for five months straight. And I was still driving to North Carolina that this was the crazy year I talked mm-hmm. about. And that year was gnarly because the crowd was back. So in my head, that was going to help me. Cause I'm a show pony. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'll, when there's people and they're stoked, like I got plus 10 <laughs> stats, like, you know, across the board. <laughs> so I was stoked for it. And I had the best training I could have had going into it. Like, you know, people have been on the show for eight, you know, seven separate years, like pretty good, pretty good training and free. Like this, this, you know, they, they hooked me up with like a sponsorship essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lighter weight, like I'm 170 right now. I was 153 when I competed in 2022, yeah. pretty light for me, you know? Um, so they rented the dirt bike for me, 
there was a lot of stress and, and, and problems with that. And there was a lot of like, we were supposed to film that on different days. It was all on the same day. I was supposed to practice. I didn't get any practice. They're supposed to have a dry floor. They wet the polished concrete before I went out to do my intro because it doesn't show dust and it films better. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm on a dirt bike. <laughs> like what? I have to do a wheelie. Like it doesn't matter that the dust isn't there. Like I'm going to crash. And guess what happened? I crashed <laughs> like in front, you know what I mean? In front of the NBC, right for my run, like not a, not a chill way to start your American. Ninja we can edit one. that out. Don't worry. No, they did. And I mean, I went back and did it again and stuff and got it. But like, I think I, per the usual Zach, I, I tried to do too much. I, the monster jam tour and the training and trying to do the dirt bike intro. If I would have just like taken less FMX shows, told him I didn't want to do the intro, I just want to focus on my run, I think it would add better results. Would have could have shared some clips from my last jam. Yeah. You know, use these. Right. And and so one other thing that was pretty intimidating about that year is you go in, you know, you've never seen the course. So you see it for the first time, okay? And it was like I think there was a six obstacle course last year and five of them were new. So I was like, okay, cool. Awesome. Like never been like, not just new, like nobody was like, we didn't even know like what they were when we're looking at it. Some of them, how do you Dude, bizarre? Yeah. And so they have testers that run the course for us. Okay. And they're they're not allowed to compete. Right. Cause they got to show us how to do it. And, um, the testers were struggling with the course. So that's when I knew I was like, Oh, okay. It's going to be hard. (laughs) It's going to be a hard, uh, hard course, uh, today. So, and that's the thing is like, they have all these different regions and like, I could have just as easily been put in a different region where the course was a little more set up for like what my strengths are. Mm -hmm. Lachets are my weak point and I've lached nine feet. That's like no joke. That's like some gymnast shit, but it took me lots of training and ripping my hands to get it. But like just pure send it stuff, like balance obstacles you run across and then just climbing. How long can I hold myself up with my hands? Those I'm good at, but the technical gymnast timing things like, dude, it's gnarly. And then, so last year, the thing I failed on was called the roller coaster. So it was like a lache bar on wheels and it goes down one and then you leave that bar there. There's a stopper and you go to the middle one. But then once you catch the middle one, you have to take that axle and wheel to the third part of the roller coaster. So I was like, you're not, you're not going to not make it. You got this. But I had never done it. It was the first gap I jumped across with too much forward momentum. And the second bar was a little lighter than I thought it was going to be. And so, and so instead of like rolling down the second hill, I like bottomed out. Like I, Mm. I fell down the hill. So when I went to make that hop to the third roller coaster track, I was dude, if you, I paused it on my edit, this, are you trying to look for it? It's kind of a long edit, but it's right here. It's this video. See, that's it. That's the second going into the third. So I landed, um, so this is a recap video though. So there's going to be like quite a lot on that, but yeah, that's like the, the intro and stuff. This was kind of for my whole year, but, but yeah, man. So basically I was about a quarter inch short. You, I mean, when, when you pause the video, it looks like I put the wheels and axle exactly where it starts, but it, it just must've been like a quarter inch short cause it didn't roll. It stopped mm. and I got clotheslined off the back. Son of a bitch. I know. So I was like, dude, I was like in a bad place after that for a little. Cause I had, I had lost so much like money and spent so much time traveling to train that that was just like, 
that wasn't an option in my head. I thought I was so set on like just getting up the wall. And I'm like, dude, once it gets to semifinals, finals, there's not a chance in hell I'm beating the 18 year old rock climber whose dad was on the show 10 times. <laughs> like that. There's not a chance. It's not going to happen. Like, you know, so my Super Bowl for Ninja was just to get up the wall at a regional and get the buzzer and advance to semifinal. And then whatever happened after that was a bonus. I haven't gotten it yet, but, um, but you still got some more time. That was that nine foot lache. Yeah, man. So I don't know, dude, just, just a different challenge. It, it forced me to stay in good shape. It forced me to like really control my like food intake stuff. And, um, I don't know, man, I don't regret it, but I don't like losing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a tough subject can't <laughs> to be continued. Yeah. <laughs> to be continued, I suppose. So what's the future, dude? What do you got planned next? So I guess like to, to kind of coincide with a lot of the stuff that we talked about with FMX and where I'm at, that's what I wanted to do different this year, 2023. I'm really weird and cryptic with like numbers. And for some reason, like the 23 number always kind of stuck out in my head. Like I think the worst year of my life, I was 23 years old. My mom's favorite number is 23. And a couple years ago, I was like just kind of looking at my trajectory and I was like, I bet I'm going to be doing some pretty cool shit in 2023. <laughs> and then like last year, I would say 2021 was like, wow, that was the best year of my life. I could, couldn't get any better. And then 2022 definitely was like that even more. Um, so like coming into this year, I was like, man, do I just do like arena shows every weekend and speed shows and go kind of back to what I've done the last two years? Because I feel like 2021 and 2022, I did learn new upright tricks. I made the most money I've ever made riding dirt bikes. I like lived it up, dude. Never didn't go out to eat or whatever, which I mean, I'm stupid. I didn't save any money, but <laughs> I had fun, bro. Like I had the best two years, but like, dude, in my head, like from some of the places I've been in life, it's like, dude, a year on the road, having fun on my dirt bike. I don't really care what happens after that, bro. Like yeah. life is like not so great sometimes. Like, like I'm taking that and running with it. Like that's, that is the thing. Some so after call it straight from the heart, I call it straight from the trailer park. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so after those Praise two Dale. years, after, <laughs> after those two years, I was kind of like very aware that like, man, I've kind of been doing the same stuff for a long time. And now I've done like, what's next? Well, I guess I could tour in South America, but like I've done Mexico, Canada, Europe, Japan, everywhere in the U S I've rode every like speedway arena, stadium, fairground grandstands on the East coast and Midwest area. It's like, there's still of course places out West and stuff I haven't rode. Cause that's kind of a different group of riders, mm -hmm. but still free ride spots I want to go to. But as far as like the show end of it itself, I'm like, dude, if I could be more selective about what shows I take and be flipping at them, making more money, my quality of life will go up a lot. I don't have to drive to every weekend. Right. And I can focus more on like, I don't know, other stuff I want to do music and stuff. I want more time. So I was like, how do I do that? Well, I have to learn flips. So I'm like for years, dude, I've been waiting for this perfect opportunity for like someone to invite me to a foam pit or their square bag or like time to flip. And like, dude, with something like that, it's like you either get pissed and like force it to happen or not. I'm sure that's not the experience for everybody. The guy that grew up next to whatever Pastrana or Twitch, like, yeah, he probably got access to the pit pretty easily. But like yeah. for me, dude, it is like really hard. So I knew how hard it was to get into it. So I, I don't, I ride FMX shows as a rider, but I also do have a business booking shows. So like in 13 and 14, I probably booked like seven or eight shows. I did like Fredericksburg fairgrounds, like, I don't know, a bar in Maryland, like just random shit, you know? Um, and then once I started riding a lot in Europe and then like 
21, 22, I was so busy being hired as a rider that I didn't really want to deal with that because you make a little extra money for producing it, but mm-hmm. not enough to deal with the stress sometimes. So I only did a couple of my own shows in 21 and 22. Well, I get some message from someone in like kind of broken English talking about a show in Virginia Beach. And what's funny is that's the same way my Europe contract started. A guy messaged me from Poland in broken English about coming to ride there. I go ride there for two years. It was some of the best yeah. times of my life just because I responded to a DM, you know what I mean? Yeah. That I just as easily could have ignored. And he had already messaged guys that blew him off because his English wasn't good. So it's like, you have to be like, I see things through. I was like, I'll hear this guy out. We share a passion. Like, sure, man, what's up? And that, but I mean, I didn't trust him. He, he paid me, uh, my first like month up front and paid for my flight. So I knew if I landed and it was bullshit, I could afford a flight home and still make money. Yeah. So I protected myself. But then when I got there, it was what he says. So I stayed there. It's still many ups and downs, but okay. So this Jackalope show in Virginia beach, they call me and they're French Canadian and they're like trying to set up this like super awesome show and they want all these different things. And then Basically, it comes down to it where they're like, all right, we're going to do a show. It's a state-funded event, so we have access to the public beach. So they're like, we're doing this show on the beach. Um, There's going to be a base jumping contest, skimboarding, professional women's volleyball match, uh, BMX, uh, freestyle motocross, skating, uh, you know, and then it's like street and vert and all this dude's music and DJs. It's like, this, the biggest festival action sports music that's ever happened in Virginia and possibly ever on the East coast other than like X games, Philly back in whatever. Mm. Okay. And this was before I even know Tony Hawk was hosting it. Extreme. I know. And they're like, <laughs> I'm sorry. And they're like, we need three flip riders. And so like, I haven't flipped at a show yet, but I've flipped at landings, but I know that means I have to flip at 75 feet, which is pretty gnarly. It's a big gap to flip. And I hadn't done that to a landing yet. And so this was six or seven months ago. So I'm like, all right, I know four or five people with foam pits. I can figure out some foam pit time to work on flips in the next six or seven months. So I just set the goal there because I was like, I keep waiting for the perfect opportunity or when I have a lot of money just in case I get hurt or for someone to invite me to the right pit. And I'm like, this is what I've been waiting for. I, I'm asked, being asked right now, like, hey, we'll hire you to come flip. So it was kind of like, okay, this is the time. You know what I mean? Like, what was I supposed to do? Right. (laughs) So it's funny now because, like, I told you I've been really stressed and stuff. Yeah, like, four and five of these people with foam pits have just had things come up. And so I haven't even – dude, I'm a month out from the show, and I have not gotten to go to a foam pit. However, I have a lot of people that are going to be calling me back soon. I'm going to figure it out, like, this week. And I don't want to go practice at a foam pit and then chill for a few weeks and then go do it. I want it to be flush. So I'm stressed right now because I'm figuring it out, but I will figure it out. But it's funny because a lot of people are kind of giving me some shit for it. And they're acting like, well, dude, you guess you shouldn't have booked your first flip show before you knew how to flip. And I'm like, yeah, but I've been waiting on the perfect opportunity for 10 years. And what I realize is it doesn't fucking come. Mm -hmm. You either get pissed enough to make it happen or you don't. I'm like, all right, well, what if you don't get any practice? I'm like, dude, I don't care. I'm flipping that day. I don't care what happens because I'm finally more pissed at myself for not flipping than I am scared of like getting hurt flipping. And that's what it took. I don't know. So this, this is very new shit I'm learning. Um, and then once they told me Tony Hawk's hosting it, I'm like started to think flipping wasn't even enough. So I got another like trick that I want to try that only like two guys in the world have done. That is like a body burial off the side of the bike um, where you hit the ramp like side saddle. So I've been studying those videos like every night, and for some reason, I'm, I just think I can do it. <laughs> so 
I'm going to give her a few goes in the foam pit. And if I can get close at all, I'm sending that in Virginia beach. <laughs> so to tell you June 2nd, 3rd and 4th is Jackalope fest. It's the Tony Hawk vert showdown. And this is a free public event. Um, it's funded by the state. It's a Virginia state event. And it's like, dude, it's, it's going to be huge, dude. It's going to be huge. The, the amount of stuff they have going on there is insane. Um, and so that, that'll be the biggest show I've ever rode. Not just for like, I mean, they're expecting, yeah, dude, like a hundred thousand people. Like it's gonna be nuts crowd wise, but also I've rode Virginia beach before when it was sold out and I was midair and every hotel balcony was full of people and the boardwalk and the bleachers and the beach. And it was just magic. Like, let's go. Magic, Who's trying to get dude. that hotel with the beach view. Yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that will be my first flip show. And if things go well, I, I really want to try that body burial, like whenever the weather's best, maybe Friday or Saturday. I probably won't do that at every show. It's just a little high risk, but I'm at the point where I'm like, man, I've been doing this so long and I've played the safe card over and over and over and over. I'm the safe, consistent guy, but I'm also the showman, but I'm this and I'm that. I'm like, Dude, if I just shake shit up and that's like, boom, Zach's flipping doing a body burial at the Tony Hawk show, that's only going to be really great for my career. Yeah. So I have to. What the fuck else would I do? Eat it. But, 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 wait, 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 but go down as the guy who fucking sent it dude right it's 2023 where we are doing it for dale dude yeah like he ate it but but that motherfucker sent it boy i'm going for it you see him he stood up afterwards dude what was his name again (laughs) zach that's fucking right his name was (laughs) i'm i'm hyped for it dude i think it's gonna have very like old school action sports vibes because like some of the guys you see now too are so like he's died, dude. Action extreme, sports. extreme sports, <laughs> freestyle motocross. The uh, I feel like the um, the guys now are so good. Like the guys at the foam pits in their backyard, they're yeah. so good. It's almost like incomprehensible. They'll and do the, like and the ramps have gotten so crazy. Yeah, like what. Did you just do a 180? Yeah. There or something? Like, oh, like the whips and stuff like, like that. Yeah. What's happening? And These it's like. in their foam pits. Man. We just fell on real dirt. Yeah. <laughs> we broke our legs. <laughs> no. Yeah. So. um, And yeah, even the bags, dude, they, they are harder to land on. Like those Kevlar bag landings mm-hmm. and stuff. They move under you. They're kind of squirrely. But yeah, like if you went to do like a flip and had to bail away from the bike, you'd 99% of the time be better off. But. Yeah, like I've also rode shows with a guy who crashed on the bag and snapped his femur and arm. Like they're they're not foolproof, but yeah. Um, so yeah, man, it, it, we do have new technology and stuff, and and uh, I feel like even the bike I have now is like so one with me because I've had it for a few years and I have it set up right where I like it. And like I'm saying, I'm keep going over all the years of riding with other flip riders. And like they're struggling to do their tricks or they don't know how to time the gap and I'm just crushing it. And then they flip at the end and then they get all the applause and they win and they get the money. And I'm like, so I'm not doing that just because in my head, I don't think I can, but like in reality, I'd probably be better at flipping than them if I did it a bunch. Yeah. And so like maybe that's arrogance and like a, a daydream, but I don't think so. I believe, I believe it. So. And you can get away with doing the same stuff you've been doing the consistency and then throw, throw that flip, flip in. at the end and like, there you go. You got Dude, your flip bonus. Exactly. So that's the goal. And then I want to ride that wave for five or 10 years and kind of like 
yeah, man, just, just it really experience being on that like higher level of FMX. I don't know what that will lead to for me. I want to ride night of the jumps, X games, those type of events. And if I could ride those and have like results at that, God, I mean, there's really nothing past that. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be kind of the ultimate, but dude, this Virginia beach show is arguably more important than all that because it's never happened. Tony Hawk's never had a Tony Hawk for showdown on the beach in Virginia beach could become annual. You never know. Actually. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I'm stoked about that, man. And, um, yeah, we've already been talking about plans for it down the road and that's doing it. other cities and stuff. So that's been a really great company to learn. Zach on the Tony Hawk tour. <laughs> well, dude, and he had Tony Hawk, boom, boom, Huck jam back in the day. I don't remember if you remember that it was fucking badass. They'd have bands there and stuff. And it's funny. Cause one of the riders I'm hiring is an old guy, Derek Berlue. And he rode on Tony Hawk's boom, boom, Huck jam back that's in whatever, 2002 or something. He said, Tony was so cool. He was like, Tony was sponsored by like Amp Energy at that time or something. Or no, I'm sorry. Uh, what company? Motorola made the NV3 or whatever those flip phones were. Yeah. And he was like, Derek like broke his phone or something. And Tony just like came over and was like, here you go. Gave him like the brand new Tony Hawk edition <laughs> phone. He like, said he was such a cool, humble guy. But so yeah, man, that Virginia Beach show is going to be like my big come up, dude. And um, yeah, I got to I got to figure out a little bit of foam pit time over the next month, but like I'm pretty much prepared in my head to send it that day and like dude, even if I go to a foam pit and I do like perfect flips and this body burial good and I do it to a landing there like a bag landing or whatever, there's still going to be a gap where like okay, now I'm at the show in Virginia Beach on different ramps and it's time to do it. It's going to be scary no matter what. But with that type of crowd where I went to vacation as a kid, and now I'm back on the beach. It's like, dude, I don't know. I just feel like the stars don't align in life like that very often. So when it does, it's just worth the risk. So I just, I'm sending it that day to the moon. Let's go. <laughs> Let's fucking go. <laughs> I say, dude, I say on, on, on a fucking podcast note, that's a good way to end that sucker right there, boy. You want to shout out the date again and tell everyone like your social media and where they can find you? Yes, sir. So Zach DiPaolo, that is spelled Z-A-C-H-D-I-P-A-O. L O and that is what all of my extensions are in social media, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. It's just all at Zach DePaulo. Um, so yeah, we're, we're talking about this awesome Tony Hawk vert showdown, uh, Jackalope fest in Virginia beach. That's going to be June 2nd, 3rd and 4th. I would come on, uh, the second and third cause I'm doing some gnarly stuff and I don't know if I'll make it to Sunday. Uh, so, <laughs> um, shout out to my sponsors, uh, NN burger, check them out on the way down in Tappahannock, Virginia, uh, head rush brand clothing. I'm dropping my signature tee with them in the next couple weeks and, uh, Fredericksburg motorsports canvas MX for your custom some Jersey needs and uh yeah man really stoked for this event so much going on there do they have a base jumping contest like what else could you not want to, you know what I mean like it's amazing I mean, so, uh, I'm, I'm thanks for the, having me on brother Zach if you check out Zach's Instagram too I'll put the link on the bio when I post the show but uh it's also so check it out It'll be on, I'll post it on Instagram or whatever the fuck but it also has like a link in his bio to the festival and just like the fucking promo video on the opening page of the festival makes it look sick. Like, yes, sir. It's going to be awesome. I'm down. I'm hitting this motherfucker. Be chill. Dude. <laughs> that was a good one, dude. That's it, boys. Hell yeah. It's um, a long one. Thank you guys for fucking yeah. listening. Thanks for hanging out. Dude. Um, yo, next weekend is the Upjet Rally. If you guys are not fucking blowing it, hit New York City for the fucking Upjet Rally. I'm printing some swag. They got some sick fucking bandanas that are fucking popping off for the rally. They got some fucking... Uh, we donated some damn Upjet flip-flops. Maybe someone will win that in a raffle bag. 
you never know, dude. Uh, thanks for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, you guys want to buy something? We still got new hoodies and t-shirts and new swag that you can get from uh, mopedmonday.com. And, dude, me and Maddie were both wearing the hoodie today, dude. Matching bros. So your little one decided to puke all over it. And you just wore <laughs> vomit for like 15 minutes straight, but you couldn't really go anywhere. And I was afraid to touch the vomit. <laughs> yeah, I ain't doing the kid. I helped scare Maddie away from, from babies today. <laughs> I appreciate that. It was well done. But, yeah, dude. Thank you guys Later for listening, dude. Big, big thanks to Zach for coming out and hanging out. Maddie for fucking being our comic relief. Loved it. Fuck your car. Ride a moped. So, um, what are your favorite moped sounds? <laughs> Your car. <laughs> I don't know, like touch your fly, was it moving? Like, no, nah, it feels pretty locked up. Sounds like you're fucked, dude. Oh boy! Wah, wah, wah. You fucking